This is Greg Amortis from Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast, and you're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where they are dead serious about horror. <laughs> Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 126, a Frankensteinian episode, where we bring you basically a variety show of horror-related content that includes uh, new movies, old movies, uh, horror news, all kind of stuff, and it's just random and free-for-all. It's nuts. Not like our themed episodes, which are a little more buttoned-up and uh, focused. Anyway, on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. And Jay, I think we're alone now. <laughs> I love that you said that. You know why? Because... That oh, docu- I know why. Yeah, that documentary. <laughs> that is so creepy, and I think you're the you're the one you're the weirdo who introduced me to that. And and even though that's not technically a horror film, it's kind of a horror film. I think we're alone now from 2008. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I thought of it when we watched one of the movies we're going to be reviewing tonight. That's actually why I <laughs> went that direction. That is so good. I dig it. So yeah, if uh, the listeners out there are intrigued, and I hope they are, that is one creepy little film. I also noticed that over the last two episodes, my pull quotes have been from 80s pop songs, it turns out, but they were actually referencing movies (laughs) uh, with uh, Secret Window and I think we're alone now, the documentary. Anyway, sorry. Well, we're keeping it real. I mean, we love 80s horror around here. Mm -hmm. uh, We're not shy about that, right, Dave? No, we're not. I, uh, <laughs> like I said, I, I hate this freaking Skype. I put myself on mute and it takes me forever to pull up the microphone and it's right next to the hang up button. Uh, yeah, no, we are not. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Dave, I hope you don't mind if I leave that in because it's freaking hilarious. The funniest it's thing. It's fine. No, I'm being serious right now. And Josh, tell me if I'm wrong. The funniest thing on Movie Podcast Network is when Dave Becker gets mad, like like legitimately it's mad. so rare. That's the thing. You know, it was so funny because a couple of our listeners just today were talking about when Dave got really mad at one sick puppy during the Your Godzilla review. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, priceless. Funny. So as people can probably tell, we said at the beginning, this is our Frankensteinian show. These are very different episodes than the themed episodes, so if this is your first time listening to our podcast, 
the majority of what we do, obviously, is horror movie reviews, of course. And we're going to bring you a bunch of those during this show. But we haven't had a Frankenstein in episode, it feels like, forever. So I just wanted to make sure people know. It's been a while. We got a lot of news to talk about and stuff. So, And, and the first stuff we'll kick off is actually kind of on the, a down note and sad. There's been a lot of tragedy and real-life horror in, in our world community. Josh, what do you have to say about this? Where do you want to start? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think people want to talk about real life horrors all that much. You know, when, sometimes we do when it actually those events mirror a horror film. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of get into that. But, you know, there's just been some awful things going on in the world with all of the floods taking place all over the world. But, you know, also here in our country in Houston, you know, obviously we've got we've got listeners there and Juan who is a frequent listener to our show lives in Houston. And so we, we send our love out to those people and, you know, and, and they're dealing with some really terrible things right now. And, and there are, you know, there are floods all over Asia and Africa and India. And, you know, it's, it's a serious problem that's happening all over the world right now. A lot of people are, are dying and um, you know, that's, it's, it takes the fun out of, talking about horror sometimes when there are these real life tragedies, obviously Barcelona, there was the recent attacks and um, Charlottesville. There were some awful things that, that happened there and a, and a woman lost her life as well as two police officers. And so, you know, just, just some real life tragedy that I feel like it would be negligent to not bring up, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we often do talk about how the ramifications of these real life events influence horror. And uh, these are horrors that are taking place in our world right now. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into the details of those uh, unless you guys do. I'm, I'm happy to, if you would like to. No, I'm with you. I, th- I just think yeah. the important message is to just let those people know that they're in our thoughts and we, we do think about them. It's been, it's been very tragic and we're sorry that's been happening. I was at work the other day and, uh, you, know, you look up at the news um, as, as I'm walking through the, you know, through the the, the back room there uh, to to get out to the front. You, you look and you look up and you just see a quick little, you know, on the news uh, the news stations a quick little sentence going across the bottom. You know, floods in in uh, in Texas and whatnot, and just kind of oh yeah, really. And then I paused at one point. They were actually showing video, and I mean, people are fighting for their lives. Yeah. It's just funny how you look in when it's reduced to just like a one sentence thing. You don't realize just how truly devastating and awful yeah. that people are going through it at that moment. You know, oh, yeah. you're sitting there looking at it. It's uh, it it really kind of kind of struck me. It's like you know, wow. You, you hear the one thing, yeah, flooding, and then it's like, whoa. I mean, they were yeah. pulling people out of like raging waters. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a serious thing. It's a, it's a big deal and it's and it's it's terrible what's happening in Texas, but it, it honestly it's even worse in other places and so yeah, just you know, it's it's a it's something that I feel like we should should acknowledge. You know, Charlottesville was the same way. I think a lot of people who heard about Charlottesville maybe just heard kind of the the president's response to it or some of the news pieces about it didn't really get the gravity of what happened, but when you watch one of the videos I forwarded to to Jason, I think, but the, mm-hmm. the vice news piece where they were there while it was happening, it's very disturbing what, what happened. I would recommend people watch oh, that yeah. vice news clip about, um, some of the things that happened because, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to offend any of our listeners. I know we have listeners on all sides of the political spectrum and that's fine, but I will say my grandfather 
left high school early to go fight Nazis when he was a young man. And, and I, I don't, I can't believe that we're still even talking about that in 2017 America. That's yeah. should be off the table as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I know the Charlottesville thing was very eye opening to me too. I mean, I just, it's sickening and I'm just so sad about yeah. it, but anyways, everybody out there, you're, you're in our thoughts and I'm sorry everybody's going through this, but, um, hopefully we can, uh, talk about some horror movies tonight and provide a little escapism for people who've been, you know, burdened by these things or the news Absolutely. of these things. But we had another just very, very sad, very disheartening. Uh, we had the loss of the great Toby Hooper, which I, I think Dr. Shock and I will both agree. The director of the all time greatest horror movie ever made the yep. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Absolutely, Dave. What were your thoughts when you when you first learned of the passing of Toby Hooper? Uh, as as has happened to me several times now, I was on Twitter and I saw uh, uh, actually Jay. It was you who posted it. Mm-hmm. As when I first uh, found out about it, when you posted on the uh, horror movie podcast feed, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like, oh damn, you know the, the reaction you have, and you're like, geez, I mean, especially because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think there's a there's sort of a I, don't, I, I think not on this podcast or, 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 or other podcasts, but I know that there's some uh, feelings out there that Toby Hooper may have been like a one trick pony with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I, I mean, we've touched on Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and Ben Poltergeist, um, which I think it was Kyle who kind of draw drew you know the. Uh, uh, you know, saying, okay, well, you could kind of tell what was Spielberg and you could t- kind of tell what was Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, this guy, he, he definitely made a huge impact on, uh, on the, um, on the genre. And it's just, yeah, Absolutely. you just, and you just realize that that's it. Now we're not going to get any more movies and, and it's, it's depressing when you, when that sort of thing happens. Yeah. And I have lost two of them. I mean, basically, we lost the directors of my two favorite horror movies within a month. It was, you know, George Romero, wow. Dawn of the Dead, and, and Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that's incredible to think about that, yeah. Um, well, and, and I know a lot of people think of Toby Hooper, um, you know, and associate him with um, Salem's Lot, uh, Poltergeist, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, I mean, Eaten Alive, you know, back in the 76 Right. I mean that that I love that movie and and I love that whole premise. I mean that's of course the dude at the hotel who would kill people and feed it to his his pet uh, uh-huh. crocodile. I mean that's right. that's freaking cool to me. And and like um, uh-huh. anyways, I, I think this guy, I think he had obviously this really gritty raw horror style that was just very appealing to me. It's like when I think of horror stories, like a lot of times you hear these weird things that people do in the world. And it's like, people are crazy. Right. And, and it's like his films depicted that a lot of times Uh (laughs) really well. Yep. And such an influence. I mean, both, both Romero and, and, uh, and Toby Hooper were such an influence um, in, in the indie horror and, and just in horror in general with what they accomplished with their, with their two movies. And, uh, you know, th- those two guys really were trailblazers, uh, you know, setting the stage for a lot of what was to come. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's it's just really it's a shame. It's just that I mean it's something that happens, but by the same token, you're just like you said, you have the same reaction every time you see it. it's like, oh man. Yeah. Well, and when somebody like that dies, like somebody like Romero or Hooper, or even like, you know, within the last couple of years, we had Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, when he passed away, it's like, okay, here is this great artist, this great contributor to film art, Mm -hmm. to the cinema that, that their voice has been silenced. They're not going to be contributing more to that. And so like now there's kind of like this cap or this canon on uh, Toby Hooper's works. And then, and, then right. and I know that's pretty obvious to everybody, but you know, I think about things like this and it's like, Oh, we're not going to get any more of that right. from that person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I, will, I wanted to ask you guys because, you know, sometimes we have actually avoid some of the bigger films because we end up talking about them so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Dave, you know, has mentioned he's a poltergeist fan. We've reviewed the poltergeist films and, and we'll put links to those episodes in the show notes if people want to hear those reviews. And we've talked about Salem's Lot many times in our Feral Vampires episode and recently in our Stephen King coverage. And people can go back and listen to those. But it's interesting. I mean, like looking at our top 10 list, you guys both have uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre right at the top. Dave's got two Toby Hooper films in his top 10. I mean, that's pretty incredible as well, mm-hmm. if you think about it. <laughs> and uh yeah, and Kyle does too. Kyle also has pol- Kyle's Poltergeist at number one and Texas Chainsaw Massacre at number six. Yeah. Dave's got Texas Chainsaw Massacre at number one and Poltergeist at eight. I mean, that's I know that's pretty crazy how um, big an impact this one guy had on us here. But I Absolutely. but I wonder that we definitely have some younger listeners to the show, and I'm not asking you guys to put you on the spot to give a review of it right now. And I'm sure we'll get we will give it its due at some point, but what is so special in your minds about the Texas chainsaw massacre? Oh, Dave, do you want to do the uh, go first? Yeah. If you don't mind, please, I'll just just touch on it real quick here. Mm -hmm. Um, for one, one of the, what I absolutely love about the movie is how utterly insane it becomes. (laughs) I mean, you cannot look at that movie from scene a and know where it's going to end up at scene Z. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just so mm-hmm. utterly unpredictable. And there are parts of it that are incredibly over the top. But I like it even more for that. You know, I just, I absolutely love it. Uh, my all-time favorite movie quote out there is, look what your brother did to the door. Hasn't he got any pride in his home? I mean, these are people who are living, they have a room of chicken feathers and skeletons and and they're cooking people and... Just this utter insanity, the the picking up the the hitchhiker. I mean, it's one of the things I learned. Hey, maybe it's not a good idea to pick up a hitchhiker within a mile of a slaughterhouse. You know, <laughs> right. it, it's 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 just one of those movies that it just everything about it came together perfectly, and yes. it really is incredibly scary. You go looking for help, you're lost. Hey, is anyone here? And you walk in. And you're and you're greeted by what can only be categorized as probably your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. And by the time you realize it, it's too late. Yeah. And then there's no learning in that movie. You know, a lot of times if someone's stabbed, they'll stumble out into a crowd and everybody will scatter. In this movie, one person goes in, boom. Another person, boom. And there's no learning. None of the characters know. When when it gets to the point that two characters are sitting 
waiting for the others to come back and we know what had happened to them. Yes. We want these characters to get the hell out of there, but they can't. <laughs> they know they can't because they're waiting for others. And now they've got to go looking. It, there's no learning in this movie. And that's terrifying where the audience is mm. in on it and we're screaming at them, get out of there. And we know that they're not going to because they have no idea what's transpired. Well said. I love that. That was great, Dr. Shock. And I hope, yeah, if people have not seen this, definitely. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, it is a must. And, um, and yeah, I was realizing earlier today, I was like, well, I don't think we have ever reviewed that in depth on this podcast. Here we are, like 126 nope. episodes nope. in. And I'm like, this is crazy. What have we been I mean, doing? Uh, yeah. I think like, we need to do we need to do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I'm telling you right now, I am doing Next Generation by memory. <laughs> I've watched it twice for other podcasts, and I will not watch that Drek a third time. Right, so right. we'll do that. I'm doing that one from memory, but I do think we need to do a, a, a Texas Chainsaw, especially with what's coming up now. Um, you know, we've got another one coming. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we need to definitely do... Uh, that uh, franchise for certain and yeah so to answer your question from my perspective josh for me this and i know maybe a lot of people say this probably but for me this is uh two things this film does number one um it captures i think a nightmare like if if you had a nightmare and somehow you could record what was going on in your brain and what you were seeing and then you could like project it so somebody could watch it this film captures that. The other thing is, it feels like it's an actual uh, documentary, like a like a, a snuff film or something. There's, it's so authentic and gritty. It's kind of like what I was talking about with his, his, his the way Toby Hooper is able to just, <laughs> I mean, basically, it was really just a bunch of people <laughs> in in the hot Texas. I mean, I mean, mm. it, it was mm. blazing and like it was dirty and gross and mm. grimy. And, and, and it's not just like all this, like, um, cause there is definitely production design, set decoration, all that. But, but really, I mean, a lot of it is there because it legitimately existed there. Like they're sweating, they're gross. It smells bad. It's very unpleasant. The actors are distraught and, and it's true because it's really happening that way in many, to, to some extent. And so I, I just think that this is the most nightmarish um, horror film, and I also think it captures the events as if they're really unfolding before you. Yeah, I mean, you have that sound effect at the beginning, that sort of Polaroid mm -hmm. flash type of sound effect that I've heard used in other films where it makes no sense, you know, in trailers and whatnot, but it's, it's a very memorable sound, yeah. you know, a very uh, iconic sound now. Um, yeah, I mean, I've listened to the commentaries as they, as they were making this, and um, filming in that van in, in that Texas heat, uh, you know, they were dying in there take after take, um, doing the, the, the dinner scene, they used real food, which after a couple of days they realized was a big mistake, especially with the heat and the lights and everything hitting it. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, um, Gunnar Hansen could not change his clothes. He had one costume. He wore that same thing in that heat for weeks and people yeah. just didn't want to go anywhere near him. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll, we've got lots to say about this movie, everybody, trust us, so, like, yeah, yeah when we do, when we do end up reviewing that, 
we're gonna bring it on that. I mean, at least at least bring our feelings and our passion for it because man, I yep. I love that movie so much. Yep. Josh, what about you? What do you think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? That's fine. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I no, I I just was never. I don't know why it didn't ever really uh, capture my imagination the way it has for a lot of people. Now I will admit, I haven't really rewatched it, so I it's probably been twenty years since I've seen it. So I okay. I'm going to go back and revisit it eventually. It's one of those things I was just kind of waiting for us to cover it on the show. Bill Shetty. If you remember, due to a bet that uh, that you lost, I suppose, <laughs> bought me a copy of the new remake of a Text Chainsaw Massacre. So that that's fun, and I'll and I'll be watching that as well. But yeah, I, it's 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 I guess it's kind of a blind spot for me. It's just more I don't know. I didn't have I wasn't really interested in it as much as other types of monsters, and so. Uh, um, you know, it's nothing against the film, and I, I, I know that it's a classic. It's just not one I've watched a lot, and uh, I, I love the man's work. You know, we t- we talked about Salem's Lot. We've talked about Poltergeist. Life Force came up when we were reviewing the Mummy, at least on Universal Monsters cast. And I know Red Cap Jack said, you know, forget his other movies. You know, for me, it's Life Force. That's what I'm watching tonight. You know, so we had we had a lot of listeners um, who had thoughts about the loss of Toby Hooper, and and I'll read some of their responses. You know, as we wrap up here, but you know, I think he did a lot of great work, and I think you know when you create a classic film that's as classic as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's enough. Like that's enough to be remembered forever, <laughs> but mm-hmm. to also have Salem's Lot and Funhouse and Poltergeist and Life Force and, um, you know, he did. Bo- we talked about body bags on our old school horror anthologies and The Mangler. You know, came up briefly. Mm-hmm. He's done so much awesome work. Um, my personal favorite, <laughs> bringing it back to '80s pop, it's probably Billy Idol's "Dancing with Myself" music video. I mean, can't get better than that. It's a post-apocalyptic fast zombies. And back in 1983, I mean, that's, that's exciting. Yep. I mean, I'm mostly joking there, but I, I, that's a good video. You know what? It would, it would be interesting if we were to take a look at, you know, horror directors and music videos that they've made, because there's a few, I mean, you have obviously thriller, you have uh, one you mentioned there, Josh, some of them, I don't, you don't even realize, like, I didn't know, I didn't know Brian De Palma did um, did uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, what was that Dancing with My uh, Dancing in the Dark? Oh, yeah, that had uh, Courtney Cox in it. Uh, you don't realize that, that some of these big time directors got into the were making these music videos. George Romero uh, did a Misfits music video in exchange for them appearing in one of his films. So they kind of had a deal like nice. we'll be we'll be the rock band in the movie if uh, you direct the music video. So that's kind of cool. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, it is. So yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. And the thing is, we've we've had, a, and I'm not I'm not hexing anyone, but you know, I'm nervous because I mean, I think like, and I heaven forbid, but I think the horror community is going to collapse when John Carpenter goes. I mean, you know, you get a lot of yeah, these. I was thinking the same thing because he's the he's the director of my third and fourth favorite horror movie. So, <laughs> Seriously, I was thinking the same thing, and I'm thinking, boy, the the John Carpenter, he better live to be a hundred. I mean, that's yeah. that that would that's going to be uh, that's going to be a devastating uh, loss there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's just it's kind of one of those things where you get to that age where 
your grandparents are dying and your parents are dying and you have friends who are dying. And this is kind of along those lines where it's, it's just all the great iconic filmmakers are going to be dying every year. I mean, you know, last year, so much was made of all the celebrity deaths, but it really is just kind of reaching that time where the people who are iconic to us due to our age Mm -hmm. are going to keep dying every year. It's just going to happen. And so it's kind of unavoidable, but you know, I think there's still hope for horror in the future. I have I have great faith in our young filmmakers. So, I you know, as, as sad as it is to see anyone pass away and to lose people who have brought so much happiness to people's lives, um, you know, that's kind of the nature of the thing, and that's what horror is all about: is confronting death. So we we have to we have to look it in the face and just say this is this is what happens. Right. Here, here. Well said. Now you you said you had some uh, feedback from the listeners from the Twitter community, right? On Toby Hooper's passing, is that right? Yeah, I mean we we retweeted a lot of our listeners um, who tweeted about Toby Hooper, and and there were also a lot of great horror greats that tweeted about uh, Toby Hooper's passing. You know, our friend Cake Wolf, he's a a writer, and he's recently released an ebook which. I recommend people check out, but also he creates horror cocktails, which we've talked about this before on the show. He does these <laughs> funny horror themed, you know, alcoholic beverages. And one that we, I think we even discussed it before, but he reposted it because of uh, Mr. Hooper's passing. It's called the leather face and listen to the ingredients of this drink. It's one part vodka, <laughs> two parts, bone broth, two parts, tomato juice, a dash of Worcester, <laughs> splash of lemon juice, dash of sriracha, pepper to taste, and a beef stick. <laughs> oh my goodness! Just terrible. Oh. So I'll put an image of that in the the show notes. But you know, I don't know. I'm not a big drinker, but I am. I can't imagine enjoying the leather face. But but Kate Wolf, <laughs> he makes these drinks and and drinks them. So he can let us know, I guess how how it turned out. John Carpenter said Toby Hooper directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a seminal work in horror cinema. He was a kind, decent man. And my friend, a sad day. Rob Zombie said the Texas Chainsaw Massacre changed my life. It stands up side by side with some of the best films of its day. Mm -hmm. Edgar Wright says... Very sad to hear of the passing of Toby Hooper, another master of horror. He conjured some truly shattering, unforgettable moments in film. William Friedkin says, Toby Hooper, a kind, warm-hearted man who made the most terrifying film ever, a good friend I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Scott Derrickson says, goodbye, Toby Hooper, the king of transgressive horror. I thought you would like that, Jay. I do. I do. (laughs) James Wan says, sad to hear the passing of Toby Hooper, one of the nicest people, a sweet, gentle soul of a man. Your legacy lives on. Stephen King says, sorry to hear Toby Hooper passed. He did a terrific job directing the Salem's Lot miniseries. He will be missed. And then, as I mentioned, you know, we had some listeners chime in. Um, Cake Wolf also says, remember Toby Hooper's episode of Perversion of Science? Check it out. Panic was one of the best episodes on the show. So oh. that's that's fun. Nice. <laughs> Put a link to that in the show notes, or you can follow Cake Wolf on Twitter. Uh, Jake Parker says, rip to horror master, 
ripped to a horror mastermind and the creator of the best horror film. You inspired me in so many ways. Oh, Bill Mosley said, so sad to say goodbye to Toby Hooper, the man who took a chance on me and gave me my career in film's greatest genre. That's yeah. a nice sentiment there. Yes, Definitely. it is. Greg, the gray man says, rest in peace. Another loss to the horror community. Tom Holland, the director of child's play and thinner says simply speechless uh, over the loss of Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. Gary Poland says, very sad to hear the news that Toby Hooper has passed another horror hero gone. Um, Andrew Tadman, who is uh, at books of blood on Twitter and he, he does horror book reviews. We've mentioned him before on the show. He says, Toby Hooper, the director who took a chainsaw to wholesome family life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thought that was nice. <laughs> I like that. Colin Campbell listener of the show says rest in peace. Toby Hooper, dreadful news for the horror community. Lloyd Kaufman said, uh, Rest in peace, Toby Hooper, the best Toxie weeps and uh, posted a picture of himself. Toby Hooper, um, you know, Jay here, of course, uh, tweeted out. He was so sad at the loss of Toby Hooper, director of the greatest horror film ever made. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. And one of our listeners, Victor Rodriguez, responded, said, I agree with Jay. I was just talking to. He mentions a friend here, Skull Convo, yesterday about the brilliant way he shot Leatherface slamming the steel door. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Master, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. We've talked about that before on the show. Oh, yeah. And um, I think we can. Oh, Guillermo del Toro says Toby Hooper was a maverick, a rebel, and a gentle, kind soul, an unlikely combination, and a great loss. He changed genre films forever. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it funny how. From these other horror directors that knew him personally, a lot of them just keep saying that he was gentle and kind, you know, this kind soul. And it's funny right. that he could make, create such horrific art, you know. <laughs> you, watch, you watch something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's like, where's that come from? It's, that's something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same with, it's the same with George Romero. Yeah, those were the same words uh, spoken about him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, just one more. I will leave it with Corin Hardy, who directed uh, The Hollow, which Jay reviewed recently. Um, mm-hmm. He says, such immense inspiration. Rest in peace, Romero, Craven, Hooper, Masters, with sincere thanks for the most incredible nightmares. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Big losses and... Uh, yeah. the, they are they are sad, but let's let's uh, let's press forward. We're horror fans. We have to we have to keep going. We don't you don't you don't stop running when your friend gets killed. You got to keep running. You got to learn. That's let's, right. Let's, let's learn from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> and as our friend Greg Amortis always says about help keep horror alive. If you encounter people who don't know the Toby Hooper filmography. Make sure that you, you know, turn them on to those films and that they check out Toby Hooper's films and get to experience those nightmares for themselves. Mm. Yeah, Cody, one of our listeners, he tweeted at you, Jay. He said, I, uh, this is happening at my local theater. I know Jay would appreciate this. He's bought himself a ticket to go see 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the big screen September first. That is local. Oh, that's our house. I would I would love to do that. What city are you in? I might uh, I might be able to drive there by this Friday. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Oh, I'm so jealous. He's in Mahomet, Illinois. So get driving. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the way I drive, I'm kind of a grandma, so I could probably make it on time. It's you probably <laughs> you probably should you probably should have left last week. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, onward and upward. We also got some. Uh, speaking of horror greats, <laughs> we did get some feedback. Thank heavens on our Stephen King episodes. We for those who are just tuning in for the first time. Uh, Horror Movie Podcast episodes 124 and 125, they, those constitute seven hours and 45 minutes of Stephen King-related coverage. <laughs> so if you haven't heard those yet, by all means, Man. please join us in our previous episode. You can find it at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. But uh, you, you say we have some feedback on this right josh well yeah we just had a lot of great feedback in the comments and i would recommend people if you haven't been to horrormoviepodcast.com lately uh get over there check it out we always have really intelligent listeners leaving comments there um we had a lot of people who were really happy that we covered the night flyer that was a big uh point that people return to a lot on social media Mm-hmm. People very excited uh, about that review. One of our listeners, Joel, said it made his day. I'm looking for his tweet. I, I'm not seeing it at the moment, but several people were very happy to hear uh, that we'd reviewed the Night Flyer. Of course, Joel's rant about the mist is one of the most talked about <laughs> things from those episodes. People really uh, enjoyed or hated his his take on the mist. A lot of people agreed with him. I have to say, I was yeah, interested. I was surprised. I was yeah. surprised he had a, quite a few people um, supporting him on that, saying I'm I'm right with uh, I'm right with Joel. Don't encourage Joel Robertson, people. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, especially on Twitter, he you know really people came out in full force uh, to defend uh, Joel's honor there. So <laughs> yeah. oh. that was interesting. Um, yeah, fourteen away. People were glad to hear that we had reviewed that um, except for Willis Wheeler, who really dislikes that movie. That was the one really harsh negative that we heard was Willis. This Hayden on 1408. Andrew uh, sent an email and actually said that the children of the corn remake that, that one we talked about from the early two thousands, mm-hmm. he, he says, I'll admit that, that a lot of the sequels are utterly terrible. And this remake was made by sci-fi, but uh, he said, I, it was actually pretty solid. So that's something that he thinks you should check out if you haven't checked it out before. P.S. Just throwing this out there. Andrew also said <laughs> that he did watch No Escape on my recommendation. He said it was one of the most intense experiences of his life. So thank you for that, so, Andrew. <laughs> so what we've learned is don't take Andrew on his word. <laughs> no. Incorrect. Andrew, I got your Don't back. listen to Andrew. No, uh... So, you know, listen, we had Matt Greenberg on the last episode of, you know, Horror Movie Podcast where we talked about, you know, he had written 1408 and a Pet Cemetery remake and uh, and Mercy. And he had also worked on a Children of the Corn sequel early in his career. And he, you know, he didn't even bother to watch the film. You know, he says, yeah, I never saw it. So <laughs> I don't know that I want to watch it if the guy who wrote on it isn't even interested in seeing it. 
I loved that interview with Matt Greenberg. I mean, that was hilarious, and he, he's got such a vibrant personality. I like his uh, writer's approach to things. There was Shane, who's a new listener. He's actually a, a police officer, and Shane, you might not know this, but I have uh, this habit of uh, giving people nicknames from our listenership. <laughs> One of these days, that's going to catch up with me, but so I'm going to call him Shane the Maniac Cop. He said that he, that he's a a lifelong horror fan, okay? And um, he said he recently saw an ad somewhere about a podcast covering Stephen King movies. And he said since he was a huge Stephen King fan and he had, had adored the majority of the movies, even the bad ones, that he downloaded the episode and was instantly hooked. And so, um, anyways, just want to give Shane a shout out there and, and thank you for your email. And he's got a little story, uh, a little... Uh, a campfire tale for us. We actually get a couple of those for this show. And he says, cool. um, here, let me, let me get, jump down to it. Oh, and by the way, Shane, the maniac cop sticks a little jab in there at me. He's like, by the way, Terminator isn't a slasher. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyways, he said, I've worked the, the last 12 years of my life as a police officer. And I absolutely love the escape of horror movies. I've got my 14-year-old son falling in love with the great 80s classics currently. Just a quick story and I'll let you go. Every single night, I park my patrol vehicle somewhere dark and walk to a call. Once I return to the vehicle, I start the vehicle, but I always have a quick flash in my mind of me turning my headlights on and Jason, not me, but Jason Voorhees, standing in front of the car. It happens every single night. I'm not the most social media savvy guy, so I don't often partake in the message boards and Twitter, but I wanted to reach out and let you guys know how much I enjoy your show and how thankful I am for the way you present. I'm hopeful to come to the meetup in Salt Lake City, and I just want to say thanks to Shane for writing in. That's really nice. That's that's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. Thanks, Shane. Um, There was one other uh, listener reaction to the Stephen King episode that I really thought was hilarious. This is from Vince at VT book of pure evil on Twitter. He says inspired by horror movie cast, Stephen King episode. I watched maximum overdrive tonight. Loved every campy minute. <laughs> so, yes. Also do not pay attention to Vince's opinion on things. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I will say one, one last thing about that one. It does kind of capture that nostalgia feeling when you're watching yeah. it. Right. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, it's interesting. I, I wish somehow we could figure out a way to like articulate that better guys or explore it or even bottle it and sell it. I just love that, that nostalgia. I think I, yeah, I, I do too. And a, a movie that hit me, I think we, we covered it a while ago. I, I don't have the episode, but chopping mall. I oh, hadn't seen yeah. that originally back in, in the eighties when it came out. If I had, I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. Watching it yes. now when it doesn't have that nostalgia feel, <laughs> It's rough. It's it's a little bit rough, right? You know. So, it, it, but but it's one. Of, as I'm watching, I'm going, man, I would have loved this if I saw it back when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's weird because you'll you'll hear young horror fans, and um, so so this is I'm not dissing at all. This is pure love and respect. So, Bloody Lizzie, our our friend over on a uh, terror troop, they they often gave her grief for the way she felt about the quote unquote classics. Because she's she's younger, uh, but you know she didn't when she was you know the, those films were out like before she was thought of or before she came around, and and then like 
visiting them later on, sometimes the younger generations don't have the same affection for those that we have. What's it that Joel calls it? The cinematic um, nostalgia disorder. Nostalgia disorder, yeah. Yeah, and I think yep. there's a lot of truth in that. But at the same time, I'm going to say, I don't think there's any shame in this cinematic dis- nostalgia disorder either. But anyways. Nope, not at all. I mean, I, I love uh, Strange Brew. The, uh, the, um, would that <laughs> take be? off, the, uh, eh? Yeah, exactly. I absolutely love that movie. You watch it, you say, my God, they must have cut 40 minutes out of this movie because scenes make no sense whatsoever. But I just, I can watch it. I can, <laughs> I can watch it whenever it's on, and I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> Certainly led to a lot of steamrollers in sleeping bags on my friend's uh, sleepovers that we had. Of course. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, who is uh, chiming in and giving your thoughts on the Stephen King episodes. We're glad you enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. And and remember, <laughs> coming up very soon, we'll talk about this later, we're going to be reviewing It versus It. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, oh, there's Stephen King on the way. And, and speaking of things that are coming up, there's actually a, um, an article that you brought to our attention, Josh, about the the horror lineup for this Halloween. You want to talk about that? Well, you know, the reason it caught my attention is because we had such a hard time deciding what we were going to cover this October. You know, oftentimes in Octo- October, we kind of do some of our biggest shows of the year. We'll do a franchise review. You know, in the past, we've done Halloween franchise, for instance. Or last year, we covered all of those 80 slashers that Shane was referring to. Um, But, you know, we had a kind of a hard time choosing this year because there were two new horror films coming out, uh, you know, with the new child's play uh, entry and the new saw entry. Mm -hmm. We thought, well, since there's a new one coming out, we should probably cover one of those. And, you know, just to be completely honest, we weren't totally thrilled with either of those options. And I will also say that when I posted that, on the message board at horrormoviepodcast.com, we had several listeners tell us they weren't too thrilled with those options. <laughs> well, but, um, let's just go back and cover Halloween again then. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Just but kidding. then, uh, you know, as I was flipping through Twitter, I saw John Squire's article here, and I like John Squire's a lot. I, I, I feel like I agree with a lot of his points of view, um, but he's a writer for Bloody Disgusting, and he said, previewing... One of the most exciting Halloween seasons in horror history was the was the headline for his article. So I thought, oh, that's interesting take on it because that's not what I had been thinking, you know. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and it's it is interesting. He goes through it. He talks about all these big horror releases that are coming out, you know, with it kind of starting things off. Of course, he touches on. Um, you know the the jigsaw film and mm-hmm. the, the cult of Chucky film, but. There are a lot of other movies. There's the House of October Built Part 2 is coming out. The much-anticipated Gerald's Game, speaking of horror, of uh, Stephen King horror films, mm-hmm. which is going to be directed by Mike Flanagan and is a direct-to-Netflix film. I don't mean direct-to-Netflix in a derogatory way, like we may have said direct-to-video. Simply, it's a Netflix original film, just like his film Hush was, which itself was very good. So I'm looking forward to his adaptation of Gerald's game. We also have Leatherface, which will hit direct TV. We have better watch out, which we'll talk about coming up very soon. Uh, Fox's the exorcist returns to TV, a very much anticipated season of American horror story 
is going to be starting. The Walking Dead is going to have its eighth season. Stranger Things is going to be coming out again October 27th. So people are very excited about all of these properties, and, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them. And it, it could very well be a, a very good October. I don't know about the most exciting Halloween season in horror history, but uh, who knows? Maybe maybe right. he's right. Well, a couple things about that. Number one, I would argue that because of, I mean, yes, uh, there are studio execs right now who are seeing how profitable horror can be. They they've known for a long time. It's no big secret, but like, you know, with Jason Blum and what he's done with his model of a very inexpensive production and then making a huge, you know, return on that. So I think the the financial part of it is obviously one thing, but the, there, there is so much, as we talked about at the top of the show, there's so much unrest and discontentment. I mean, even, and, and don't worry, I won't get political, but I mean, like politically, like within our country and politically within other countries, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of things that people are just so stirred up about. So it makes sense as well that, that horror would be coming on so strong in our society that it will be manifest mm-hmm. in our culture as it is. And yep. I think, and I would predict even that even in the next couple of years in the coming years it's it's even going to intensify so i mean it's a good time to be a horror fan it's a bad time to be living in (laughs) in the world you know to some (laughs) some extent but seriously i mean if if we have to escape the real world into horror and thing here's the thing if things get a little uh you know a, a, a little sunnier and happier, you know, like maybe 30, 40 years from now, uh, the, you know, maybe they'll be looking back at this time period and and calling this a golden age. But the other thing um, I was going to mention out of there, so there's there's also a mother, which comes out October 13th. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was in that article and I missed it, but... Um, uh, no, it was in there, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, the Darren Aronofsky thing, I mean, that looks, that's looking very intriguing. I'm liking the trailer on that. And also, um, our uh, our listener, Peter Strain, who is the famed uh, poster artist <laughs> that we've discussed mm-hmm. before, I guess that was on, wasn't actually on Horror Movie Podcast proper. That was on our best movie po- posters episode of Movie Podcast Network special yeah. features. But, uh, but Peter, you know, he was a little bit bugged by the mother poster because rosemary's baby poster is one of his favorite posters of all time and he thought that uh the mother poster was a little bit too uh close for his liking (laughs) yeah well there's the other one though of uh, jennifer lawrence's face where she kind of almost looks like a doll um not in the like uh you know attractive sense but like kind of creepy where her eyes are like like a like a doll's eyes i I'm terrible at impressions, but um, that was supposed to be Quint. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> that was awful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the explan- uh, Thank you for uh, yeah. for letting us know. I don't. Oh yeah, this is a nice this illustrated poster where she's holding a heart in her hands. Yeah, her own heart in her hands. So that's a really cool poster. Yeah, absolutely. So so there's one that's like close up of her face. It's just oh, a, I a, see a, that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that's creepy looking. It's very weird and creepy, and and I, I recently this is a a very weird segue, but I I was watching the Hunger Games. I was revisiting that, and she was like Jennifer Lawrence was kind of staring off into space, and because of this image, it creeped me out from the <laughs> Hunger Games. 
Anyway, <laughs> one other thing, and I, you know, I don't know that this is going to be a, a full blown horror film, but it it sure does seem like it from the trailer. Um, it seems like it would be at least in the vein of like the Silence of the Lambs. You got the Snowman, um, which I'm mm. pretty pumped about that one. It's a uh, Thomas Alfredson, which um, people will. Uh, recognize for uh, Let the Right One In, the director of that. And so, have you seen the trailer for The Snowman, guys? No, sir. No, I have not. Oh, that's going to be... You know, I bet that's going to be in some top ten lists, horror and non-horror alike. That's looking really good. So, You know, speaking of trailers, uh, I saw the little teaser today that was on the IMDb homepage for Lore. Yes. Which comes out October 10th. Uh, no, October 13th. I apologize. Man, you're going to love that, right, Jay? Yeah, I love Lore. That damn Andrew Mikey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, he he is he is exceptional. He does great work. And um, just to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of jealous of the guy. But, I mean, I am so happy this is coming out because these are some freaky episodes. Have you guys ever heard the episode called Unboxed? <laughs> No, uh, I don't think so. Oh, you got to listen to that. There are I so many. I did subscribe to the podcast after you recommended it here, but I haven't heard too many yet, but everything I've heard has been incredible. And this trailer is really awesome. You know, this is something that's been going on for a little while. I guess Ricky Gervais was probably the first person to do with the Ricky Gervais show where HBO took his podcast and animated, you know, little cartoon characters kind of illustrating what he was, they were saying and, and the scenarios that they would come up with on the podcast were animated. And that was a really funny idea. Kevin Smith also did that with his smod tunes or something like that, uh, series where they animated episodes of Smodcast. But this is such a cool idea because he's telling this really exceptionally, really exceptionally researched, uh, you know, versions of real life, uh, ostensibly, right. you know, horror el- stories. And the animation style that they've chosen for it is just so incredible. I don't know if it's going to be different episode to episode, but the clip that they show in the trailer just looks ghastly and, 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 you know, terrifying. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And so m- my advice to people. Um, you know, before you decide on that, go listen to the Lore podcast. It's called Lore, L-O-R-E. Listen to an episode and and get a sense of it and, and then check out that trailer. I think you'll be in. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. You know, another trailer that I'm actually very um, pumped about, Dave referred to it earlier, and it's uh, Leatherface. You know, mm. and, as soon as I heard, you know, that they were coming out with that, I'm like, okay, like I was very skeptical, right? But I saw the trailer, and guys, I'm thinking they're going to do this right. I mean, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, I, I, I was interested in the trailer. Absolutely. It's got me wanting to uh, wanting to see the movie. Um, you know, there's one little you know blood spurt that's very CGI. But other than that, uh, I was impressed with the trailer. I, and it's, um, yeah, it's piqued my interest. Yeah, and shout out to my buddy. Uh, okay, so I got a couple of shout outs that are related to this. Shout out to my buddy Brian, um, who who sends us emails to uh, Horror Movie Podcast and Movie Podcast Weekly. I really appreciate Brian. I wanted him to know that. Brian and I are are, are both huge fans of uh, the directors behind this. So um, this Leatherface here, this it's Alexandra Bastillo, 
and uh, Julian uh-huh. Mari. Okay, I hope I'm pronouncing their names right. I'm such a big fan, you know. Like, but well, it's said from the, from the makers of Inside. Exactly right? that they're the yeah, ones that did that Inside. film Inside, which is basically just about a horror masterpiece as far as i'm concerned i I agree (laughs) that is is. freaking scary they're the writers and directors of that film that film's amazing if you haven't seen like your best case scenario jay for who could be making serious chainsaw film absolutely and that's why i'm so pumped about this because and, (laughs) and and brian brought this up as well i mean so brian i'm right there with you brother um this is incredible so real quick inside is the french film from 2007 about this woman who's expecting and then there's this other weird woman who becomes obsessed with her unborn baby and wants to take it um <laughs> before it's time to take it um the other yeah. the other one and i gotta give a shout out here to um uh jason dragon here the, the other thing that they're responsible for is livid from 2011 now um through means which I will not describe here in detail on the podcast, I've been trying to see this with the help of my uh, friend Jason Dragon, but we've we've had some difficulty, or at least I have had some difficulty, but this livid thing is something I've been wanting to see forever, for a long time, and um, this is something that Brian also gave the shout out, and this is also Alexandra Bastillo and Julian Mari. So basically, long story short, I know that was very crazy what i'm telling you is these filmmakers know horror and they can bring it so i'm i'm very uh optimistic about leatherface guys anyway it's cool and as a prequel we should say we, we haven't really yeah. mentioned that oh yeah sorry. you can tell you can tell tells yeah. the story of a young leatherface mm-hmm. which interesting approach i'm really excited that lily taylor's in the film actually that's yes that's the thing that would push me to see yeah. it. and Stephen dorf they both look like they're gonna be awesome in it and i'm actually a finn jones fan as well i thought i think even though that show iron fist is eh, it's, <laughs> it's not great I, I do i do like him well also anytime and, and i'm just i'm just putting this out there anytime somebody wears like a pig head or, or some kind of like animal mask on their face, especially like one that looks real. It, it kind of like seduces me. I'm so freaked out and scared of it and just mm. very intrigued and I just want to see it. Oof. So pumped about that. That's Leatherface comes out. I think it's slated for October 20th. So that's going to be great. Um, Dr. Shuck, why don't you talk about um, the trailer for the Monster Project? You got to see that, right? I did. I did get to see that, and um, you know, it's it's found footage, or I guess uh, I don't know if it's technically found footage, but it's got that you know the feel. Uh, so maybe something like a Grave Encounters mm-hmm. or something, where they you got these guys who are going to put on a show where they go out and look for real monsters, um, and of course they're figuring it's just going to you know all be uh, investigating some crazy people, you know, um, only to find out that. Uh, there are some real monsters in the world. I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued by that trailer. Uh, and I am, uh, that's another one I'm looking forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by it too, because, you know, we've talked in the past on this podcast, it's been many, many episodes ago, but we've talked about that whole um, monster rally concept where you have multiple monsters in the same right. film. And that's exciting mm-hmm. to us. I mean, I think that that can be difficult 
to pull that off and do it right or do it in such a way that it's not like some Abbott and Costello thing, which by the right. way, we all love Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm just saying, um, you know, so I, I'm always hopeful that there's going to be like a, a really great one of these. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because these are people who are not trained to go after any of them. We're not talking about Van Helsing's here. Right. We're right. talking about guys who are just trying to put together a show Yes. Uh, figuring they're going to meet a bunch of kooks, um, <laughs> only to find out that it's very, very real. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wolfman Josh, I understand uh, you're going to tell us a little bit about the new Night of the Living Dead 4K restoration. I'm really excited about this. You know, this is something George Romero got to see in his lifetime, which I'm, I'm very happy about. As we know, Night of the Living Dead has never looked good. There's never been a great release of it. <laughs> right. I've, looked, and- I've tried to find one, really. And that's and, the down, That's the downside of public domain is anybody yeah. can put one out and they can say, "Hey, brand new and improved." And you watch it go, "Is it the same old crap?" Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, one thing that I love is that the Museum of Modern Art decided, you know what? Let's do this right. They went. They got the original prints. They did a 4K restoration. And they screened it at the MoMA, which is awesome. Last year, last November. And Romero got to see it. A lot of people got to see it. There are reviews of it online. You can find um, people loved it. You know, say just said it looked gorgeous. And I am so excited to see a gorgeous version of Night of the Living Dead. I can't even tell you. Um, so basically, MoMA gave the rights of distribution of the film to Janus Films, which, if you don't know, is kind of inextricably linked with the criterion collection. So that's exciting. Um, Janice films is going to be releasing night of the living dead in theaters this October, October 13th through 26th, I believe only in New York city. I'm mm. not positive about that. We can, we can do some research and we'll let you know in October, but they're, they're releasing this 4k version of night of the living dead in theaters. Um, the 13th through the 26th of October and they have not yet said it yet, but they've hinted to a home release. And again, as I mentioned, um, Janice Films, typically all of their releases come out on the Criterion Collection. So I really have my fingers crossed that that's that going to be the case. amazing news. That is absolutely incredible. And it's yes. one of those things where, like when I found out that they found all that footage from Metropolis. Yeah. And they were releasing it in a few cities. I said, well, I'm not going to get a chance to see it. But damn, I know that's going to come out on DVD or Blu-ray at some point, and I'm mm-hmm. going to pick it up. And that's how I feel about this. I'm not going to be able to see it first time out, but I will definitely be a first day purchase for me because to see this cleaned up, um, it would would be incredible. I mean, I like I, I think I mentioned before, I worked with someone who saw the movie first run when it first came out <laughs> in the theater, and Whoa. she said she said it was like one of the most terrifying things she'd ever experienced. And I would love to see it, uh, you know, through those eyes, just to see how how cleaned up and how and nice that would be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are in one of those cities, like if you're in New York and you get the opportunity to see this, let us know what you think. We'd like to hear about it. So um, just to we're going to begin in some movie reviews here shortly. We just got a couple more items, but just want to talk about. We we already mentioned a little bit about what's coming up in October. We we've got the uh, well even before that we've got the verses episode. We got some 
uh, killer creepy clowns and the it verses. We've got um, mm-hmm. child's play. Um, we, we've also, we're doing our Salt Lake City meetup in uh, October 14th. And we're going to be recording some content from that. And we plan to release an episode on October 20th. Uh, of that co- coverage and of course we're going to be doing our 31 days of halloween blogging which will primarily be dr shock as usual but still and i have some i have i have some um i'm really really looking forward to it this year for the movies i have lined up i'm looking at movies from like 2013 forward is the only thing i'm going to be covering this year and and some of them are, are ones i didn't catch up with last year i think it's eyes of my mother and and um um, was it the love witch and things like that. Plus some 2017 movies, um, that I picked up a couple Josh is going to be talking about tonight are going to be part of my, uh, 31 days this year. So I'm really, really looking forward, um, uh, to, to doing that this year, just to, just to see all of these new movies. Um, uh, most of them that I haven't seen before. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it'll be great. I'm looking forward to that too. Josh, do you have any comments so- about those? Yeah, I think for our new listeners, I just wanted to let them know, you know, we are typically a biweekly podcast. During the month of October, we try to release something every week. And also we do these these posts, which are written reviews every day during the month of October at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. So it's just something to amp up things for the Halloween season, which all horror fans, of course, like to do. We also encourage our listeners, if you'd like to submit reviews for the 31 Days of before we have done that in the past mm-hmm. we don't post all of them but if, if you want to try your hand at writing a really good review we do sometimes post multiple reviews a day if basically especially if jay and i get around to to writing one <laughs> then, <laughs> then we do multiple a day but we've had mm-hmm. listeners in the past ian west sam Ro- sal roma uh several other listeners uh, submit their written reviews and we've posted those during the 31 days of halloween so it's a lot of fun. I also want to just do a quick shout out about our our meetup in October. Some things have changed since you heard about it last, and I am excited to tell you some of the updates. For one, you know, Doctor Shock is going to be there, which yes. is amazing. Yeah, I can't present. wait. I'm looking. I'm looking forward just to to meet everybody, and um, and then uh, we're we're going to uh, well, we'll get into that. I guess uh, when we're talking a little bit more October, we're going to be checking out a movie. Yeah. Well, I, and I wanted, to yeah, I wanted to mention. So first of all, it's Dave and Kagan's birthday is October the 13th, Friday the 13th. That is not part <laughs> of our official meetup event, but for people who are around early, we are going to have a little shindig for Dave's birthday celebration. I believe um, more details on that to come again. That's not necessarily part of the official uh, event on the 14th. We are going to be doing it looks like a couple of movie screenings, not just one movie screening. It looks like, again, I, you know, your ticket guarantees you one movie and one live podcast, but it looks like we may have multiple. And yes. one of those films is going to be from a listener of the show, and actually a couple listeners of the show, the writer and directors, uh, Chris Peckover, who we've talked about him before on the show. He was on our Horror Cinema Awards jury last year, and he has this awesome horror film coming called better watch out, which was previously (laughs) entitled safe neighborhood, uh, but has been retitled better watch out. Uh, Our listeners who saw it at fantastic fest, gave it uh, a big thumbs up and it's gotten rave reviews. Uh, We are going to be showing Chris's film 
at the meetup. And then Chris will be there in person for a live Q and a. So I'm super excited mm-hmm. about that's adding awesome. Chris to the lineup. Uh, that's yeah. going to be really cool. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Definitely. Jay, Dave and I are also going to be watching the cult of Chucky in theaters that will be in theaters during October. And we're going to be doing a live review after <laughs> our viewing. So if you're around and you want to join us for that, Hey, you know, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So lots of fun stuff happening at the meetup again, the, your ticket, which you can get at Indiegogo search MPN event 2017, or follow the links through our website. Uh, you can get for $35 or $30 if you're a Patreon supporter that guarantees you entry to the film screening as well as the live panel discussion with the Movie Podcast Network. All stars, people from all, almost all of our podcast shows are going to be there mm-hmm. in person doing a live panel. We'll have a Q&A from Chris Peckover. Maybe more films to come, you know, to be announced as we as we move on. And then, of course, after the show, we're going to go out and and have some dinner and and hang out and it's going to be a very fun night and as i mentioned other events will be unofficial events may be happening uh friday and sunday as well but the big day is saturday so please get your tickets at indiegogo you can pre-order them there and we want to see you in person it's going to be a blast (laughs) yes it is absolutely I, i cannot wait i'm getting so excited for that it's going to be tremendous Okay, and then I think we just have one final uh, news item that we wanted to just kick around and discuss before we get into our horror movie reviews of this episode, and that is this uh, this business about the George Romero star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. What the heck here, guys? <laughs> well, I you know, I am excited to talk with you guys about Hollywood stuff because we we mostly talk horror on the show, but we're all fans of all genres. Mm-hmm. And one of the first times, in fact, the very first time I heard Doctor Shock, I believe, was on the podcast that you guys used to do about the Oscars. You remember that? Oh wow! Yes, the Best Picture Podcast. Yes, best yeah. Po- we got we had about what three episodes. Three episodes. <laughs> it was amazing. And for and for for you, Jay, that that's pretty long. I, I know, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, but it was, it was a great, great show. Actually. I wish we had more time to produce that sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved it. You guys are both, you know, uh, big fans of that kind of Hollywood stuff. And so I, for me, one of those types of things is the Hollywood walk of fame. It's super cheesy, very touristy, but as a kid, when we went to, to LA, that was one of the things I always wanted to see. I wanted to walk down the walk of fame, look for the stars of the people I admired. And, you know, my grandpa taking me to go see Bob Hope's star or whatever. <laughs> and those, that was always fun to me. But as an adult, well, it was actually only with the passing of Adam West, actually. That was the first time I heard about it is Adam West. They were trying to get him a star before he passed away. And it was so difficult to get Adam West, his star, not only um, is there kind of a committee that you have to get approval from, but you have to actually raise the money yourself. You have to, you know, get the $30,000, $35,000 together to get this star planted on the Hollywood walk of fame. And that was the first time I'd heard kind of about the back, the, the dirty underbelly of the Hollywood walk of fame mm-hmm. as a, and it's just so frustrated me that a guy like Adam West well, had not even yet been inducted to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, and now as we talk about George Romero's passing, 
it is ridiculous that George Romero does not have Here, a star. Let me let me just may I please let me put this in yeah. perspective for the listeners out there. Everybody knows that I love film critic Roger Ebert, but he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he's a yeah. film critic. I mean, I mean, he was a writer of the screenplay for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, but I mean, he's a film critic, and so George Romero doesn't have one. Are you kidding me right now? Brett Ratner got his star January 19th, <laughs> 2017. Okay, just this year, Brett Ratner... Wow. Maybe overdue. I don't know. Maybe he should have had his star a long time ago, but he should definitely not have got one before George Romero. <laughs> right. No. And, you know, Chris Pratt. I love Chris Pratt. He's a great guy. Big yeah. star. Yeah. But uh-huh. the the very idea that John Goodman got his star after Chris Pratt, there's something about that just chaps my hide, you oh, know? What the so, heck? Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is kind of a goofy in my opinion and I, I've lost my my zest for uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame in the last couple of years but I don't know I, I still as as lame as it is there's a part of me that's like you know there there's some fundraising to try to get the money together to get George Romero his his star on the Hollywood Walk and there's a part of me that's like yeah we should support that we need to support that Absolutely. he needs to be there and is it is that correct or do we just boycott the whole thing you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, well, I just I'm on I'm out on the site Hollywood Walk of Fame. I guess it's walkoffame.com, and they have a search uh, search result. And I put in a couple names, and they came up with no results. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And then John, you mentioned John Goodman. I searched, and John Goodman did come up. John Carpenter doesn't have a star. <laughs> Obviously, Toby Hooper doesn't have a star. Um, Yikes! I gotta go back and take a look. I'm pretty sure Bella Lugosi does. You know, when you go back into the way, way back for yeah. horror, yeah. I think um, I think you'll find some. Yeah, Boris, Boris, uh, Boris, Bella Lugosi has one. I'm sure Boris Karloff has one. But you're right, Jay. I mean, I mean, I'm a big Roger Ebert fan too. But did he deserve a star over someone like John Carpenter, who's made <laughs> some of the the greatest genre movies of all time? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's well. I mean, here's the thing, and we all know this. The horror genre has often operated outside of the the honors, the glory and laud of the the industry. And so, I mean, part of me, Josh, is like, you know what? Screw those guys. We don't yeah. need a star. Yeah, well, yeah, but here's the thing. It, it's operated outside of the industry, but it's pulled their ass out of the fire monetarily <laughs> how many times? <laughs> That's no, right. It's true. Well we said. We just talked about this on Universal Monsters cast that basically... You know, these remakes of these Hammer Horror film remakes of the Universal Monsters films saved Universal from bankruptcy. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah. insane to think about that. But Yeah, it is. And it's kind of sickening and irritating. But, you know, what are we going to do? <sighs> Just gripe about Amp, it. Get them, join them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what we need to do is make a horror Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's that's the ticket. There you yes, go. Yes. There you go. And then then and when who was it who who had came who had come up with um Jay, you you might remember come up with the um Mount Rushmore of of horror. The four people you would pick Well, I don't on the Mount Rushmore. Of yes, horror. I don't know who originally came up with that concept cuz I think that's been around, but I know um Ron Martin d- did an awesome version yes. of that on his yes, website. And maybe yes, for all I know, I apologize if it was Ron Martin of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast, 
Maybe it was Ron Martin, but but yeah, he's got a nice little section on his his website at zombie7.com where they've done that. That's pr- and that's, that's and that's pretty cool. But I think a Walk of Fame, um, you know, would would be perfect. Yeah, and, and because you know horror isn't necessarily Hollywood, we move it out to South Pasadena where they shot Halloween, and we put it right down that street. You know where yes. Michael Myers is stalking the girls. <laughs> that's the street to do the horror Hollywood Walk of Fame on. All right, right I just did a search, and let me do it again because I might have done it wrong. But this one kind of shocks me a little bit. Tell it. Stephen King does not have a star. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. They, they, they knew he directed a uh, maximum. Overdrive, well, he directed, so. but he also, how many did he write? I mean, this guy, I mean, uh, we, we had what you said, seven some hours, seven hours, 45 <laughs> minutes to, talking about, to talking about uh, what, what Stephen King has done for horror. Mm-hmm. And the, this, this guy, you, you know what it really is. It's, it's like, they pull it out and say, okay, well, we need you to make some money. Thank you very much. Go back in the closet. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, here, here, you know, for the horror fans out there who are trying to raise money for George Romero's star, more power to you. I'm fine with it. But for myself, I'm done with it. I'm done with the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very frustrating. All right, guys. <laughs> Here, here we are now. We're into the reviews portion of our show. I'm very excited about this. There are a lot of films that we still have to get to, so I'm grateful that Dr. Shock is willing to stay awake at 12.40 a.m. Eastern Time right now. <laughs> here well, we go. Hope, let's hope. Yep. Let's hope. I've had a few uh, Samuel Adams Boston Loggers, but I'm going to do my best to <laughs> stay awake and make it through to the end. All right, then. Let's move into our feature review of Be My Cat, a film for Anne. Hello, Anne. Um, my name is Adrian. I'm from Romania, and uh, I want to make a movie with you. I saw you in Dark Knight Rises, and I saw you playing that cat woman, and you're, you're my actress. I even convinced uh, three Romanian actresses to play in this film to show you how I'm gonna work with you on Be My Cat, on the movie that I want to make with you. They don't know. Okay, guys. Now, let me just, I have to preface this, where this came from and so forth. So our friend, we the aforementioned <laughs> Cake Wolf, okay. Uh, we, we've given some shout outs already, but I gotta tell you something about Cake Wolf. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Cake Wolf has this thing, and I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. I, he has a collection, uh, you know, a decent collection of horror VHS tapes, like the, the video cassette, you know, VCR tapes that are horror movies. Anytime that he'll see these, my understanding is when he sees these out in, I don't know, at like discount stores or thrift stores or yard sales, if he sees a horror film, he'll get it no matter what it is or no matter if he already owns it, okay? And the reason for that, he says, is because he wants to protect and take care of those films. And so he has some some duplicates and, um, you know, maybe... That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, super awesome. So what this guy is doing, props to Cake Wolf, is he is doing what uh, Greg Amortis always encourages, which is to, to help keep horror alive. But, he is, but he's, he's a horror archivist. Yes. And that's pretty cool. It is. And moreover, I mean, more importantly... It's been within the last year or so that I've realized how much I truly miss the brick and mortar video rental stores. I mean, Josh here, he used to work in one of those stores, so I can't imagine the the pangs of withdrawal that Josh yeah. feels. 
But I mean, I was obsessed. In when, some ways, it makes you miss it less because it's work. <laughs> that's that's true. But but here's the thing, guys. When I first got my driver's license, okay, when when I was first able to drive by myself when I was 16, where did I go? The very first place was a video rental store. No joke. The second place was Dairy Queen, but the first place was a video rental store. And, and the thing is. I, you know, there are like two of those that I know of still in Utah. And I stopped by one of those recently, like a couple of months ago. And it was just this nostalgic, magical experience for me. And of course, my kids had no context for this whatsoever because they only know Redbox and Netflix and Amazon and so forth. And that's fine. But the thing is, I'm like, ah, my, my, my son is nine. He's starting to, I can show him some horror stuff. But I would kind of like to be able to give him that experience of showing him horror on my VHS. And so um, Cake Wolf, you know, he found out about this and he's kind enough to send me a few films and I'm grateful for that. And so I just wanted to, first of all, just give that guy a shout out for trying to preserve horror as he is. And so I told him, I'm like, I'm like, I need to send you money for for these. And he He's like, no, 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 no. I just want somebody to take care of the films. I'm like, okay, well, I need to at least pay for the shipping that you paid. He's like, no, no, no. I'm just happy you're going to give them a good home. And I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, what can I do? And he's like, how about you review a film for me? I'm like, tell it, brother, tell it. So he's like, how about Be My Cat, a film for Anne? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I mean, uh, this sounds so great to me. And, um, and you're like, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I hadn't even, I hadn't even heard of that. And uh, it, it's a t- 2016 film from uh, Romania, apparently. And uh, this is written and directed by a guy named um, Adrian uh, Tofi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, but, but guys, <laughs> basically, uh, what you have here, and we're going to talk about this more in depth, but. It's it's ostensibly it appears to be a found footage film, okay? And we're told like up front that the, this this is the police files tape. You know how they do that. This is the police tape of what happened, and it shows this really friendly guy who's super warm and happy, and he's he's presenting this as he's making a tape for the actress Anne Hathaway. And what he's doing is he wants to make a film and he loves Anne Hathaway. He's obsessed with her and he wants to cast her in the film. And the film is called Be My Cat, which is hilarious. And I'll tell you why that's hilarious to me in a second. But um, and so he he is making this film to kind of um, show her, like explain to her what the film is going to be like. And what it'll be like working with her. And he is even like, you know, hired some actresses to kind of communicate this and demonstrate it for her. And that's kind of like, I'll, I'll just start with that for the premise. And uh, <laughs> where else should we go from here, guys? Because part of me wants to be super careful by the way we talk about this. But also, I want to make sure we explore what is going on here because this is a fascinating horror film. What do you guys got? Let's open it up. Uh, well, okay. Um, I took your advice, Jay. I went into this completely blind. I looked up nothing on IMDb. I looked up no trailers. Uh, I just sat down, pulled up Amazon, rented it, and said, okay, let's see what we got here. So I knew nothing <laughs> about this going in. Yes. And it is truly disturbing. I mean, I was sitting there watching it, 
I was actually able to convince um, my youngest son was watching it with me, and I actually had him believe in this is real footage. This <laughs> is stuff that they actually found. He had to leave the room a couple times <laughs> <laughs> over over what was over what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a certain point in the movie where he looked at me and said, "This can't be real." You know, something specifically <laughs> happening. And I said, no, it's not. It's, 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 a movie. it's, it's, it's made up, but he still had to leave the room and he never came back. It, it, it really got to him. And as I'm watching it, it's, it's obsession. This is a movie about obsession where you can see the obsession with uh, an individual and what it pushes people to do. And mm-hmm. It is deeply disturbing. And again, it's a movie where, where the characters, there's no learning because people are walking into this situation expecting something. You know, and he's preying on people who are looking for, you know, they're looking for any chance to further their career. These actresses, young actresses. And, and it's just so very disturbing. You're right. He's, he comes off as a likable guy. He's walking through his house. But then you start to think, wait a second. He wants Anne Hathaway to fly to Romania to be in a movie set in his <laughs> attic called Be My Cat. Be My Cat. So you're like, okay, this guy's delusional. It's never going to happen. But then when he just starts like, you know, he's, uh, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I, I, I love Anne Hathaway. I love her. And then there's a point in the movie where he's saying, don't be jealous, Anne. Um, it's you I'm thinking of this. I'm doing this. <laughs> Because I'm an actor and I'm in the role and I'm sure. Oh my God. I, you know, it, it's, it's very, it was a very, very disturbing experience. Um, this movie and, and going into a cold uh, helped that to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough, it, it, for me, it was a little, it was a bit of a, a tough watch. Um, I mean, I made it through, there's nothing incredibly objectionable in it. Um, for anybody out there, you know, who's, who's not into the real gore or anything, but, um, as far as just looking at this individual, giving him a voice, it, it was, it, it, it was, it was impressive. And at the same time, uh, like I said, quite disturbing. <laughs> yes, sir. It's one of the most simply shot found footage movies I've ever seen. And that may sound incredible because we've. I think when we think of found footage movies, we think of simply shot, but really it it's an example to me of how important the storytelling aspect is because you can have actors. Well, the actors are very convincing. I'll give them, I'll give them that, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to have beautiful camera shots or fancy camera shots or even incredible dialogue. In this case, it's just simply the concept, the, is so compelling. The storytelling, the way it's laid out is so compelling. You can't stop watching it. Yes. I agree. And, and you know, a couple of things has this, honestly, I know there have been tremendous uh, depictions of mental illness, like um, misery, for example, that's kind of a a great example of a film where you've got this person who's a, a super fan and who's truly obsessed and scary. And, and this guy right here, in some ways, I mean, it's disturbing and scary, but it's also very sad. It's like, oh, wow, what a, what a pitiful oh, yeah. individual. And it's like, oh, yeah, he can't, he, he's, he's, he's stuck in this town and um, there are, there are, you know, uh, 
well, not hints. I mean, he flat out says how, you know, his experiences in school and, and what he went through. Um, it is sad. It's, it's, it's extremely sad. And when, and when you think of the fact that, I mean, one of the funniest things is, is like, as we were watching this movie, like I said, with my son, before things get really out of hand, as he's just watching this, he goes, this guy's in prison, right? Or he's locked away somewhere, right? <laughs> right. right. I know. I know. And, and what's really interesting, not to get too creepy on you all, but like, um, it, it's so neat how much he, he is in a way um, an audience surrogate for like fandom. Or, or, you know, because we're all fans of certain things. We're fans of certain people or actors and things. And, and so, as you said, he's in this small town. He's tucked away. But now, in this day and age, this is very parallel to me because the Internet has given us voice. It's given us the ability to reach out and, like, talk to uh, celebrities and things through social media and all these weird ways. I mean, we, we have a little people and i say little you know because i mean not famous people like us or this guy in, depicted in this film they have a way to kind of reach out and communicate with celebrities so i i do think there's a neat little uh, parallel going on here but i think what fascinates me the most about this is how meta this film is how self-referential it is because yeah because you have a guy who came up with this great idea for this film and he's making it, but that's actually what he's doing is making this great idea for this film that he came up with to try to sell it to this actress. Well, he's actually doing that in real life, too, at the same time. And, and so because of his um, the way he has to play this character, you know, the, there are two sides. There's the reality of things. There's the filmmaker making this film with these actors that he's participating with. And then there's what he's depicting for the camera that's supposed to be for Anne Hathaway. And what's interesting, I read this in the trivia, that the the only way he could really make um, distinctions, because there were some times when it got a little blurred and a little freaky for the people he was working with, is, is they used uh, different languages in, in order to c- communicate. So if it was like a, a, a director type of communication, he would use, um, I don't know, speak in Romanian or something. I have to look up my notes on well, that. I, when, when, and and it, was, it was interesting, I thought, because... He I mean, have we explicitly con- said that he was the... The actor was the director as well? I don't, I don't know if... Uh, sorry if I missed that, if you oh, said boy, that. Ac- but, according, to the, yes. according to the credits, this guy was everything. Yeah. Right. Actor, director, editor, you know, uh, set design, pretty much everything. And, and looking at the movie, like you, like you said, Josh, is it's very sort of simplistic and i don't mean that in a negative way mm-hmm. um shot uh, simplistically shot and 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 assembled and um yeah well many many of the scenes take place at the same spot on the same sidewalk yeah you know what I yeah, mean? They, <laughs> they do yeah they do and it's and it's this guy in 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 his little romanian town that he thinks anne hathaway is going to fly into and, and hang out in his attic <laughs> and and that's another great thing that made me keep watching this film. I mean, there are lots of reasons I was fascinated by it, but I'm like, okay, is is Anne Hathaway 
going to participate in this film? Am I going to see her in it later? Like, was the real life actress in on this? And and I won't say whether she shows up or not or what happens. But I mean, that's one of the fascinating questions. I'm like, okay, how is she going to play into this, if at all? Right. And then, <laughs> as I was watching it, I, I, I'll even, I, it wasn't so much that as trying to imagine Anne Hathaway watching this th- this video, watching the, these these clips. Um, yeah, <laughs> and this guy thinking that this is going to entice her, yes, to, to somehow visit him. Yeah. Um, it's 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 uh, amazing. It's amazing and frightening. Yeah. Now you know how it's called. Be my cat. Okay. So he says something in the beginning. He, he's like, I named it. I call my film. Be my cat because I love cats. <laughs> and then he also made this like parallel to how she was Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises. And so that was another reason he thought she would be perfect for it. Well, it's really funny because um, this is just a little side personal <laughs> note that people probably don't want to hear. But um, I am a cat lover. I used to have cats and I would like tease the cats and bug them and stuff. And now that I don't have cats, because my wife won't permit it, I'll kind of tease and bug her. And she often says to me, and I quote, I'm not your damn cat. You know, I'm not your cat. Like, stop harassing me. (laughs) And I know that sounds really creepy, right? But that made this film even (laughs) funnier to me that he wanted to name it Be My Cat. And he wanted Anne Hathaway to be his cat. He wanted to be my cat and he had a cat woman yes um uniform that he had that he had made that was yes ridiculous it, and you know it, it's and and he talks about how he loves cats um yet something terrible happened even even in that portion of his life but it's not enough to wipe the smile off this this lunatic's face yeah, yeah, he smiles the whole time, no matter how, I mean, it gets pretty insane, and um, yeah, and because of the whole cat uniform and stuff, um, there are aspects of this, it reminds me a little bit of um, Tusk, it's not quite like Tusk, but it also reminds me of that film I recommended in our special features episode one, uh, The Corpse of Anna Fritz, where it's this, this again? Yeah, where it's this. <laughs> I just love that horror fans. If you but didn't we hear that, talking about that. Movie. No, never, <laughs> never. You guys gotta watch the Corpse of Anna Fritz. Do it, do it. Anyway, it's a great, sick little movie about a, a movie star that just, I mean, everyone loves, and she ends up dead in the morgue, and so the orderlies want to, you know, hang out with her, so to speak. Anyways, it's creepy like that on that level. And so that's kind of weird to me as well. Um, but this is one, I think if, if there's a reason to see this movie and there are many, but if there's a reason that I would encourage people to see this movie as a horror fan, this is a great conversation piece to talk about at parties. This is like, if you want to recommend something bizarre to somebody, something really weird, then this is, uh, this is a gem that you could like tell people to go see, you know, to rent. And check it out. What do you say, Josh? How, how are you feeling about this movie at this point? I mean, I I think I had all the same reactions as you guys did. I don't know if it's because of my documentary background, but for me, <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. And like as messed up as this was, ultimately, actual documentaries 
freak me out more than this. You know, the two, well, first, what I want to say is if there was one reason that I would recommend people see this movie, it's so that independent actresses never put themselves in a situation like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You gotta wonder, you know, after a few minutes with this guy, you gotta be like, what? I mean, I, I guess they're that desperate to get out there. And we find out with, with one of the girls, just how desperate they are. I mean, um, you know, yeah. it's 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 a shame in a way that, and I'm sure that there have been actresses out there struggling who have who have shown up at uh, for well, a movie and have been in some guy's house, you know. I, well, I know that there are, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna talk about one right now. But but I, one thing is that the three actresses, you know, I, there are three actresses in the film. They all pass uh you know have a passing resemblance to Anne Hathaway some more than others i think one of the actresses looks very much like Anne Hathaway <laughs> Florentina Harrington mm-hmm. i was like wow she looks actually like Anne Hathaway <laughs> it's, it's kind of creepy it's weird yeah and what's yeah. interesting is that's the one he's least happy least with of, yeah exactly yeah. that's the one he's the least happy with which is amazing i agree with you i thought she was the one who would be the spitting image of Anne yeah. Hathaway yeah. Well, anyway, um, you know, as I watched this film, there were three films I could not help but think of. And one of them was the Blair Witch Project, because all I could think about is how these actors put themselves in such a dangerous situation in real life. We love Eduardo Sanchez on the show. Yeah. We've had him on the show. He's been on three episodes of Horror Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um and I, and I don't know about Jason, but at least I am a huge fan of the Blair Witch Project. And, and me too. Me okay. Too. I like and, it. You know, you okay. I mean, it's, it's the, the, fir- the first one, I don't like this new <laughs> thing they put out. But yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> anyway, long story short is that the actors, for those who don't know, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard, Michael C. Williams, they, you know, they were young, out-of-work actors, very much in the situations that their characters were in, um, as kind of like these college student film student folks and they get this answer this casting call to this very strange production and they're put in situations where they're actually lost in the woods and at night they're terrorized by the director and producers who are doing all of the things that the characters experience in the film screaming in the night shaking their tent leaving weird objects outside of their tent i mean it wasn't it wasn't completely immersive but it was pretty dang close. I mean, you know, the, I think mm-hmm. the actors at some point must have thought, are we going to be okay? Are we going to survive this? I would if I were put in their situation. I mean, the the uh, the director really oh, yeah. tried to submerge them in this reality. And, you know, they, there were little notes they would receive in a basket along with some food with directions of what they were should talk about that next day. But other than that, they were really out in the woods having these conversations and being terrorized in the night. And so, I mean, I, I can we know that one of the you know most successful horror movies of all time actually followed uh, a pattern pretty similar to the casting and and uh, production of this film that we're talking you know that we're talking about tonight. <laughs> wow. That mm-hmm. kind of freaks me out. Anyway, I I hope that actresses and actors will not put themselves in in this type of situation having seen uh, you know be my cat oh my gosh be my cat but i would i do not think this film I, okay first of all i do think that the director and actor is creepy and i think he does an, an exceptional job of selling himself as creepy mm-hmm. he must have 
as a human being, I'm assuming is normal. And we definitely know there's enough separation that he was able to edit and market the film and take it to film festivals. And the actresses did survive. They appeared with him at many of these film festival screenings. So we, we know that they're alive still, and he's not actually a killer, at least with regard to the three (laughs) women in the film. Um, But I don't know, man, this guy is creepy. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but he, have you ever heard of change.org? Yes, I've heard of it. Basically this website where you can set up a petition for anything going on and you, you know, you uh, try to get people to sign your petition and it might be, you know, one of my friends just sent me one for a crosswalk needs to go in by his kid's elementary school and ask me to sign it. Sure. I'll sign it. Well, this guy, Adrian Tofi has a petition at change.org. Of course he does. Of course he does <laughs> to try to get Anne Hathaway to watch this movie. Yikes. And <laughs> the oh, reasoning Jesus. that he has behind it is that, you know, this is an independently distributed film. He's distributing it himself. He got all these rave reviews from horror critics, but it was, he was not able to get distribution. And so he thinks it would really help with the film's distribution. He says, the signed petition will be delivered to Anne Hathaway's manager. We need as many signatures as possible to convince Anne to see the film because he's saying it would make it would really make a huge difference if Anne were to see and and publicly express her opinion about the movie. <laughs> that, that's what he wants. I bet it would involve and, the F word. Her, <laughs> her I, I, I bet she would. I bet she would jump in the shower immediately after seeing this movie. Oh and man! Make her this. This is wow. But I can also see her get you know having a being John Malkovich type of curiosity about it and just say, well, this is kind of interesting. She is kind of a freak. I mean, you know, and I'm saying that, you know, in the most positive sense, she, Mm -hmm. she's a freaky type of of person. She likes to kind of do weird projects and, you know, she's a serious actress who goes all in when she does a performance. I, I can imagine her seeing this and appreciating it to some extent, but yeah, it would have to just, make your skin crawl and completely freak you out. Yes. Like this. Yeah. If if she had some way of knowing that the guy in real life was sane and not a psychopath, then may, I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) anyways, it's going to, it's going to take a lot for these two to meet. I mean, it's, it's going to take, you know, there's going to have to be like in the middle of a uh, of like a Yankee Stadium or something before she's going to feel comfortable around this guy. Oh man, that's so yeah. funny what you said. I love it. Well, no. Don't you think there's a chance that he's really hoping this will lead to him working with Anne Hathaway? I mean, why Anne Hathaway? I don't know if we've heard the answers to these questions. I'm sure in Q and A's he's done about the film, but I don't know, man. It's, Ooh. It's, it's so, just, she, she was. She would have just been one he picked, but my goodness. I mean, and, and it makes sense in the movie, you know, with, with Dark Knight Rises and, 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 and Catwoman and his, his, uh, his love of cats. And if it weren't his first or last film, number one. <laughs> right. 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 right, right. <laughs> There's if that. He had made, if he had made another film that wasn't found footage, that was like a regular film or something, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I would bet you a million dollars, not that I have a million, but that she would never go to Romania to like 
shoot this film with him like having no 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 i I can't see Anne hathaway saying well his attic looks like a pretty good set piece there yeah Yeah, let me go and make be my cat no i don't think so so yeah so in that way because of what josh was talking about about uh you know desperate actors being exploited because they you know want so badly It, it reminded me a little bit of borat on that level um is it Borat? Sure no, no, no. Just the accent. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, oh, and I don't even Bruno? think. You're yeah, Bruno. 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 Thank you. That's yeah. what I meant. Bruno. <laughs> yeah, Bruno. Yeah, because of you know the way they uh, people are willing to sign things to let their kids do these crazy things in movies. Anyways, the other thing that I thought of in this is, you know, there is such a darkness. There's such a dark horror side to people who want to be famous, and so I thought. You know, it would be a great horror-themed episode to do, like, Starry Eyes, Be My Cat, a film for Anne, and then that that movie Eat, even. Like, those those three, I mean, that would be a crazy triple feature to show. Of what people are willing to go through for... For their career, for yeah, fame, to, to, be to famous. become famous, yeah, to become a to, to get into movies. Yes, that'd be creepy. Now, Josh, I'm sorry. Did you did you say there were um, other like real documentaries that you were reminded of and you were comparing? Yeah, this I thing? was wondering. I was trying to debate. Do you guys want to do your rev- like ratings and recommendations? Because I don't want to bring it down. I kind of want to put a nice cap on. You know, people's, you know, your recommendation that people go see this before I start talking about other things that are. Oh, okay. I don't know. Sure. What do you think? That's fine with me. Yeah. Why, let... don't you guys, why don't you guys go ahead and do your ratings and recommendations and I'll, I'll bring the documentaries up in my closing comments. Okay. That sounds great. So for me, I'm going to say right now, first of all, thank you to Cake Wolf. Uh, thank you for the VHS tapes. And I want to thank you for this great recommendation. I'm very happy with this. I love this film. It is like this, you know, apparently a micro budget indie type of film. But even so, I don't care. The heart is there. I mean, seriously, there's heart in this movie. And you can tell this is a cinematic oddity to me. It's one of those bizarre gems. I also would call it a must see. And if you if you did hear our uh, special features episode one when we were kind of doing okay which films are kind of rare and have like the fewest ratings on um, IMDb this at this moment this only has four hundred and eighty four ratings which is very small because some of them are in the five digits and stuff <laughs> uh, but in six digits for that matter but but anyway this is an eight out of ten for me. Again, I say must see. I call it a buy. This is a buy it for me. It's not that I would revisit it a ton of times, but it would definitely be a movie that I would want to show to people and just pull it out and be like, okay, you got to see this, you know, and just subject them to it and see how they react. So that's for Uh me. I give Be My Cat a film for Anne an 8 out of 10. Must see buy it. What do you say, Dr. Shock? For me, rating first off, I'm just going to say it's a 9 out of 10 for me. (laughs) I can see me talking about this again at end of year Mm -hmm. when we do our end of year. That was the type of experience it was for me. And yes, it is a cinematic oddity. And I'd like to thank Cake Wolf as well. I didn't know until 15 minutes ago that he was the one behind this. (laughs) Because Jay was just very cryptic in his email of watch this and don't look up anything about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I knew nothing about this movie going in, and that's what we recommend. I mean, now, if you've listened to the podcast, you already know. I mean, we've kind of taken that away from you. But 
still, this is a movie you should definitely watch. I would probably own it. I might watch it one more time and then I would retire it because I think <laughs> it, it delves into a personality that makes me very uncomfortable mm-hmm. of the obsession of, of, of that, you know, because people who get in their mind that, that a movie gives them a connection to somebody that is not there. And the celebrities who just go about their daily routine not realizing there's somebody out there stalking them and, and, and doing things, you know, that, that, would, that would probably make them quit the business immediately if they knew, knew what was going on out there. Um, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. It is a buy. It is a definite watch. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, it's not as if the what you're seeing on screen it's not gore it's not um incredible violence but yet it is something that is just inherently disturbing and and when you look at it because you know that there are people out there like this and there could be thousands of people out there like this <laughs> um and and i think that's what really what really got to me so yeah nine out of ten and uh, it's a buy and a definite it's a must see mm-hmm Thank you. All right, Wolfman, bring it home. First thing I want to say is just based on your guys' recommendations, like think back to the reactions to Blair Witch. I liked it, but, you know, Jay certainly did not like it, and a lot of our listeners didn't like it, and a lot of people in general didn't like it. And think about how much money and effort and, you know, visual interest and everything there is in that film, sets and just like special effects are you and, talking about the 2016 Blair Witch? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I am talking about the 2016 Blair Witch. And now think about this film and how simply constructed it is. It's literally just a guy holding a camera for most of the movie and literally in the same place. Mm-hmm. And it's effective because it's good storytelling and it's an interesting idea. And and it's the same reason the original Blair Witch worked. You know, and, and it was, even though I like the original Blair Witch Project, I should say. And even though I like the new Blair Witch movie uh, more than a lot of people, it's it's interesting, you know, that, that you can strip all of that stuff away and it can just be this raw. And Dave, who's a cinephile, say 9 out of 10. Like, I, that's just, I love that about the cinema. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that about this, this medium. And I just, I don't know, I wanted to express that i guess before i start ripping it apart so my problems with it are this like i think there's a lot of just dragging it out i felt like there there was a lot more they could have done and there are long moments in the film where the conversations he's having with an actress just for me didn't seem like they were going anywhere um or things scenes with himself where it's kind of feels like he's, you know, he is just a guy by himself recording this with his, in a hand with a handheld camera. Mm-hmm. And so it's crazy, you know, thinking about the, re, you know, like you said, the kind of the meta version of this film. He's just, <laughs> it is just him in his bedroom alone recording this. Right. <laughs> and it seems like there are scenes where he's kind of like working himself up and he repeats the same dialogue again. And it works because he's crazy. Right. But it, for me, I kind of saw through the veneer a little of it a little bit. Like I felt like I was watching him do another take kind of, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were kind of my technical problems with the movie. Um, they're not big deals, but 
I think for me, the bigger deal was in terms of my, just my pure enjoyment, which I did enjoy on the screen as um, on that initial viewing. But as I thought about it compared to the real life stories that I'd heard and seen in film, those are just so much more disturbing to me, like so much more deeply disturbing to me. Number one, because they're real. I and mean, this might be real, too. <laughs> I'm not discounting <laughs> that, he, that this is real. But, um, <laughs> you know, we talked about I think we're alone now, you know, and yes. it's, that's a reference to the trying to get away into the night. And then you put your arms around me and we tumble to the ground. And then we say, I think we're alone now song by Tiffany. Um, and. You know, it's about her obsessive fans, her two biggest fans. And it's so deeply disturbing to me. It doesn't go the places this does Mm -mm. because it's real life. And these are real people who aren't in prison right now. But (laughs) But it's so... But... But it's so sad and so scary. And like Dave said, being uncomfortable with kind of the subject matter, the or the personality type on display here. Like I am too, because mental illness is a real thing. And when it's real to this extent, I can't imagine anything more tragic for everyone involved, including the person who's acting out these types of things. And I hope, you know, I know the horror attracts people who, who feel badly about things. I'm one of those people too, but I hope if we have listeners out there with, with mental health issues that they get help from, they, they ask people for help because it's important. And the reason I'm making such a big deal about movies and this silly thing right now is because of what I'm about to tell you next, the 2000 film, the video diary of Ricardo Lopez is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my life. Ever in your life. Oh, Hmm. And Tell it's it. not I, and much. I've not seen that. I, okay. It's not a whole lot different in terms of like the first, the buildup portion uh, to be my cat in, in that it's just a guy in his house talking to a camera. Um, but it gets dark. It gets so disturbingly dark. The guy needs help. He needs medication. He needs to talk to someone and he doesn't get the help he needs. And instead what we see is someone who is a stalker and an obsessive type. And in this case, he's obsessing over Bjork. And this is real life. This is a documentary. Um, the singer Bjork just going completely insane to the point where spoiler, he kills himself on camera at the end of the film. And it, I have never ever seen something so sad as this documentary and deeply deeply terrifying and disturbing as this documentary and And you can actually see the the raw tapes they're like 20 hours of this footage the documentary thankfully cuts it down to an hour and 10 minutes with some commentary or else you know you'd feel similar to him at the end about bullets but um, it, it's really hard to watch, and um, and and it's serious business, you know. So, so something like "Be My Cat," although it's very compelling, and I had a great time with it. When I when I think about it in relation to something like the video diary of Ricardo Lopez, I just think, man, it's just so. The reality is so much worse and so much more tragic, and the whole thing is sad and scary. And I don't want anyone to have to go through that, especially on the victim's end. Like no one deserves that. Like please don't ever do that to another person. But even on the perpetrator's end, like it's just a it's a tragic situation. So now I'm so I I am just astounded here. Did they? 
Did they actually show his death on that film? They 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 show it. Uh, you know, uh, it's a good question. I, I don't know if it's in the documentary. To be honest, it's a film made in the Netherlands, so it's not beholden to the same laws, obviously, as in mm-hmm. as in the United States cinema and the Dutch. Having lived there for several years, they're very transgressive people, um, and they and they also consider themselves a very evolved, very metropolitan, very progressive people. So I can see them finding. Um, value in that in the way that you know you talk about the bridge documentary oh yeah the bridge um, yeah i i think this is similar probably is a way, way you could look at this you know is just we're witnessing human despair at a level that you know we hope no human gets to and that no one should have to witness i regret having watched it but i did i myself whether or not it's in the documentary which i do not remember i have seen the the raw footage uh, myself and I regret it. You know, I'm not a person that likes watch. You know, going down those black holes. You know, Ethan Embry talked about that in our interview. How one of the ways he psyched himself up to play this character is he just sat and watched awful things online. You know, and I'm not someone who enjoys doing that because there is a certain attraction to it because you're because you've never seen these images. But it's when it's real, it's not fun. There's nothing fun about. Right. Real life horror, you know, and so yeah, uh, it's awful, and um, and so yeah, I think yeah. the video diary of Ricardo Lopez, I would never recommend it to anyone, at least the ending. But if if you want to see, maybe watch the trailer if you want to see just how uh, disturbing a situation like this could be, and 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 a worst case scenario kind of situation. Obviously, the 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 ending of Be My Cat is worse. Than the ending of the video diary of Ricardo Lopez, but when you put it in the perspective of this being real, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like this is worse. You know? Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, I I yeah, try to look absolutely. it up on Amazon, and yeah, it's not. It doesn't appear to be sold in the United States, but I, I'm just, I was just curious. I'm just wondering. Yeah, well, he intends to. I mean, not to give it away, but he intends to kill Bjork too. He's in the video, he's going to mail her a bomb. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like his suicide note, essentially, too. So it's just, it's deeply disturbing. Wow. Just curious. Also what? a cinematic oddity, though, Dave. Well, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So do you ever, and this is a weird question, but do you ever, like, is there any evidence, aside from just pure obsession, what is it about Bjork that that he... You know what I mean? Like, wh- what is that? Like, I I just don't know. Like in this film too, it's like he admire and be my cat. He admires Anne Hathaway. Thinks she's a great actress. Thinks she would be great for his film. Yeah. But it's like, what is the nature of that? What is it? And why why is it so often? Because that is a thing. That's like a theme where when people are ob- so obsessed with something or someone, they they want to kill it. Like that's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Well, it's I just kind of like I don't know if it's yeah. because they can't possess it. I, I, you know, like um, I'm trying to think. There was that that sister for, that, that actress from my sister Sam, that TV series. Um, I, I can't remember her name now. Who was uh, Rebecca Schaefer? Who um, was gunned down by a fan? She was actually, mm-hmm. I think, preparing. She was twenty-one years old at the time, and um, she was preparing for, I think. Uh, um, an audition uh, for The Godfather Part 3. You know, she, she was yeah. going to appear in that, and uh, I don't know if what happened. I don't know exactly. Um, there was an, a knock on her door. 
Um, you know, so, so I don't know if it was an autograph seeker, whatever, um, and just shot. You know, just just. Uh, uh, I don't know what happened, but I think it was an obsessive fan who shot her. You know, twenty-one years old, she had been in the show, and I mean, it, look, John Lennon is probably the most, you know, the the the, the one, and, and and I know there are other issues involved with that guy, Mark David Chapman, who who shot John Lennon. But again, he got an autograph from him, um, and then later that night gunned him down. It's there's just something about I don't know what it is. If if it's you can't possess him, if you if you want to be linked to this person forever uh, by doing these things, I don't know. I don't know what it would be to drive somebody to do that. And I don't know that I ever, you know, I, I don't know that ever. Well, look, it's mental illness, now. Dave. I mean, I don't think yeah. it's rational. We can't understand it because someone is is sick and they need help and. And we hope they get that that kind of help. You know, I don't think it's I don't think it's something we can really understand because they're not in their correct frame of mind. You it, know? it has a very goose that laid the golden egg kind of uh, tone to it, though, which is weird, right? Because in that story, they kill the goose because they want to get more golden eggs. But then that's the end of golden eggs. You know, it's weird. You know, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Ellen DeGeneres had a really funny bit back in the day when she was doing stand-up before kind of like her TV show and everything. And I remember I always stuck with me probably because I was vegetarian vegan at the time, but um, you know, it was about hunting and she was talking in the bit. I'm, again, I'm going to butcher it, but she was talking to a hunter and she asked the guy why, uh, you know, what it is about hunting. Why does, why does he hunt? And he said, well, you know, a deer is such a beautiful animal, you know, I, I you know, and, and she says, well, I think my mother's beautiful. I don't want to hang her head in my living room, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. I think there is an element of that, you know, it's, 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 it's strange. The one thing I did want to say before kind of, we move on though, is I texted Jay and Dave earlier today asking, so I was trying to fit one more movie in and I was kind of like, should I fit this one in or this one in? You know, yeah. A or B. And it was it was the killing ground and be my cat. And Jay uh, texted me back. He said, "The killing ground is brutal, soul crushing, and realistic." And uh, <laughs> and I thought, wait, <laughs> I, 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 like <laughs> that's not his description of it. Be my cat, like that. That makes me really scared to know what what killing ground is like. If that was, <laughs> yeah, right, right. If that's yeah. not that description, well, that, yeah, this one. But anyway, yes, I, I will say for me, I, I probably come in more like a six point five on this. I, you know, it, it, I I didn't completely buy into it to the extent that you guys did, but I enjoyed it and I was absolutely entertained and interested the entire way through. I think it's an incredible piece of found footage cinema i think you know i always appreciate a next evolution and that that kind of a approach to filmmaking and i feel as though uh this is that and and I'm, I'm again like i mentioned before i'm really impressed that they were able to do so much with so little and uh and so i'd call it a a low priority rental for me i think it, you have to be someone who is interested in the film experimentation aspect of this and and if you're not boy you're really hating this conversation because it's going long but (laughs) (laughs) but uh but for those who are yeah i think it's it's a very breezy rental at you know 3.99 on amazon so i'd recommend that absolutely okay so that's our review of uh be my cat a film for ann and uh let us know what you think of it in the show notes for this episode and thanks again to cake wolf who recommended it to us Yeah, yeah absolutely 
All right, at this point, let's uh, move into our feature review of the Belco experiment. Belco is a nonprofit organization that facilitates American companies in South America. All employees, lend me your full attention. Hey, it's Jesus. Your chance of survival increases by following my orders. Your task is simply this. Kill three of your co-workers, or we will kill six others. Hey, all the lines are dead. We need to evacuate the floor. Heike, come on, it's a joke, man. Hey, listen up, everybody. Whoever's doing this, they're having a little fun at our expense. Uh, the Belco experiment. Um, and okay, I'm going to be reading. This is from, uh, I'm just going to read the um, synopsis. This is from Blu-ray.com because it seems to me that it's, it's the best one I've seen. It says, in Colombia, the Belco Corporation offers training for employees working in the global marketplace, welcoming a mix of locals and Americans into its remote office building. However, today is not a normal day with the Colombians turned away, leaving only a small collection of staff to run the show. While the morning starts as normal, routine is soon disrupted by steel doors that lock down the building, while a mysterious voice in the intercom sets up a sick experiment where the employees are ordered to kill one another, with bombs implanted in their necks, motivating them into action. While COO Barry, played by Tony Goldwyn, attempts to keep control of the situation, panic ensues, urging Mike, John Gallagher Jr., to figure out a survival plan with girlfriend Leandra, Adria Arjona, I guess that's that. While new hire Danny, Melanie Diaz, uh, attempts to hide in the basement, an office pervert Wendell, John C. McGinley, begins to embrace his license to kill. Um, okay, so I guess we'll start off. Uh, do you want me to start off the discussion here? Or? Yeah, tell us what you thought of the Belco okay. experiment. Um, you know what? I, I thought it was, I enjoyed it. I, I have to say I did. I thought it was an interesting um, uh, setup. I mean, I know it's not... a brand new sort of fresh setup. I understand that, you know, Battle Royale has done something along these lines. And, um, but I like that they set it in this building. I, and, 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 um, just the collection of people. And I thought it followed how this would sort of play out in this situation, you know, where there'd be people just sort of laughing it off at first. And then something happens to convince them it's very real. Uh, at which point you have, different groups, one on one side, trying to figure out a way out of this mess and save everybody. People on the other side saying, let's do exactly what the voice says. And the fact that they're all locked in this building together and that there are, there are forces keeping them from getting outside help. Um, you know, that, that they're in there and that's all there is to it, that this is what you have. This is what you have to deal with. And if you don't deal with it, you are going to die. Um, I thought that was, I thought it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that setup and I enjoyed the sort of the way the movie uh, played out. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you had a good time. Um, what about you, Joshua? Did you like the Belco experiment? Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I'm a big James Gunn fan. He is the writer and producer of the Belco experiment. Um, yep. And Doug McLean, who directed Wolf Creek is the, is the director. So it's a, it's a fun marriage of talents there. I think that's a interesting mix of people. Um, I, one thing I realized when I'm watching it, you know, it takes place in Bogota, Colombia, 
when I was in Colombia, if you guys remember that, mm-hmm. uh, Abraham Ben Ruby, yeah. who who's uh, one of the actors in the film, you know, I I had interviewed him for a documentary that I am producing, and you know, and so I was following him on Instagram as well, and you know, he was like, "Hey, I'm in in Colombia right now with James Gunn," and I thought, "Oh, that's awesome! I hope he's going to be yeah. in the next." Uh, hope he's going to be in the next guardians of the galaxy movie or something, you know, <laughs> but it turns out, you know, he was, he was working on, on this, but anyway, that was fun seeing him in this. And, um, I, I, I like the, I just like this type of movie. I like the game kind of thing. You'd think I'd like the saw movies more, but I, but, um, I, I like the, the moral quandary and the, you know, and the situation people putting, put in these moral situations. It's one of my favorite games to play with my friends, especially when we were in high school, we used to do it all the time. You know, if you have to choose between this awful thing or this awful thing, what are you going to do? And, and I, and I love, I love being put in those situations, uh, theoretically myself. And I like watching it play out on film. I also am a big fan of John Gallagher jr. Who honestly, I wasn't really a, aware of before last year, but between 10 Cloverfield lane and hush and this i'm like now a huge fan of this guy i think mm-hmm. he's such a interesting young actor wow. um yeah he was just in three great films in a row and and he was really good in all of them so yeah i i he really carried the film for me i i appreciated that i i think um it is a little bit by the book a little bit predictable in some ways and i there's even though i can't point to what the film is but battle royale is a great observation um it does feel extremely familiar like it does feel like you've seen this all before somewhere and saw is probably the main reason for that since we've seen so many of those at this point but but i I really enjoy the cast um john c mcginley as well tony goldwyn as well um love seeing these guys in anything but i think they're great in these types of roles michael rooker of course greg henry just a really just a really strong cast so I had fun with yeah. it. You know, it's not it's not a life changing film for me. I don't think it's going to make my list at the end of the year. But I, it was a very enjoyable. But do you remember we reviewed like what would you do? Is oh yeah, was would you rather? Is what? Would, would you rather? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, those types of films. I feel like they're fun, kind of roller coastery, kind of. They're fun. I think they'd be fun to watch with a, a group of friends and kind of discuss, uh, you know, the moral quandaries and things like that. But. um not not ultimately one that I don't think will stick with me necessarily. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think that the Belco experiment is well done. I mean, I I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I think it's well made. They pull it off for people who are, who are looking for like a pretty bloody and violent horror film. I mean, I I do think this has those. And in fact, I would put it in more the action horror type of movie because there's a lot of action to this. And, but, you know, I didn't love it as much as I, I hoped I would. I had a few problems with hmm. it, um, surprisingly. I know, right? Um, well, it, I could just thought this might be your type of film. And I think some of our listeners did too, that maybe this would fit into your survival horror kind of interest. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, and I think I would have, if um, I, I would have gone for it that way, like hook, line, and sinker, if I felt like it were a little more. Um, realistic in the performances i'm not saying the acting was bad but if you're taking just everyday working slobs right i mean these people are pretty 
intense fighters when it came down to it. I mean, and what I mean by intense is they were pretty effective, like gladiators and such. I mean, I think, mm. um, let me, if you guys give me a second to give this example, I'll kind of get, get you where I'm going with it. In Maniac, the original Maniac film from like 1980, there's a kill early in that where he just strangles this woman. And it's one of the most realistic um, kill scenes in horror cinema for me because, and I've never killed somebody, and I hope never to have to, obviously, but I I, suspe- <laughs> I suspect... <laughs> So don't piss me off. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I suspect that people, uh, like if, if, if you were to be engaged in this kind of life or death battle and you were trying to kill somebody for some reason, um, it probably would be messy and not very smooth and just an awful kind of experience. And that's like in Maniac when he's like strangling that woman, it, it's just a very upsetting sequence because... It doesn't go very well. It's not this smooth, like, you know, snap in the neck or anything. I mean, she struggles and and almost gets away, and it's, it's just weird. Well, in this movie, you know, since you've got regular people who aren't lethal killers, I mean, these aren't Navy SEALs and stuff, I think the killing and the violence, they would be spurred to violence. I think the motivation is there because otherwise their heads are going to explode, but and then plus then it comes down to a self-defense too because the other people are attacking them. But I think it would have just been a lot messier. So I, I, I guess I just didn't buy the action in it a little bit. There's, there's a couple kills where I'll agree with you, especially when you were talking about neck snapping. Yeah. I think there's one late in the movie. that, But I think some of these were, were, were fairly messy and also... Oh, yeah. In that regard, pretty realistic. There's a stabbing that seemed as if, you know, the, the, they didn't exactly finish the person off right away. There's a scene with a, with a skull that's slightly caved in that I found really, mm-hmm. you know, kind of distressing as I was watching that. That was good. Just watching this person sort of slowly, you know, drift away. Um, but, I, I mean, there are some kills in the movie that, that are that way. And maybe that's James Gunn's sort of sense of humor playing into it. I mean, he always has a, a, a sort of, uh, you know, uh, unusual sense of humor that he puts into his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking, especially about that neck, the, the, you know, the neck snapping scene, uh, especially I kind of walked away from that one. When you think of what, what was being set up in that scene. Um, but a lot of the other kills I thought, you know, were kind of messy. Um, mm-hmm. And and we're not what I w- what I would say we're we're done by by great warriors. I mean, this is people who were put in a situation, and some of them were more willing to do it. Um, but I think when you have a collection of people like this, you're going to have those personalities. You're going to have the guy sitting at his desk writing a letter to his family, crying. You're going to have um, you know it was a Sean Gunn who plays the brother is probably the most comedic character in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, running around thinking there's something in the water. Um, you're going to have the guy trying to save everybody, and you're going to have the guy who's thinking, let's kill everybody. These are the people that you're going to have in there, and I thought that was an interesting... I thought that that's what made it seem a little more... Um, well, I don't know if I want to go as far as realistic, but more acceptable mm-hmm. um, as, as to this is what the situation would, would be. 
Yeah. Well, the gore is definitely good. It's convincing. I, I agree uh-huh. with that for sure. What were you going to say, Josh? Were you going to jump in there? Uh, no, I just realized as you were talking about it where I and maybe some of the listeners had misread how you might respond to this film. Because I think although it does a lot of things, and I think it's emotionally effective, and I think some there are moments where you really feel the reality of what it would be like to be in the situation. Ultimately, it is a little bit campy and it is, and it is a little bit comedic. And Dave kind of mentioned, you know, James Gunn's sense of humor. I think as I thought about that element of it, I can see why that would be less appealing to you than a very deadly serious version of, mm-hmm. of this kind of tale. That That's exactly right. Um, I agree with that. Thanks. You read me correctly there, but I will say there were a couple little moments, like little tiny joke moments that they just slip in randomly that I actually laughed out loud. I couldn't believe how funny some of it was. Like, um, there's like one, anyway, I don't want to spoil any of it in case people see it. So, um, but what about, I think my biggest complaint though, and I'll I'll tell you guys the things I like too, because there are some good things, but my biggest complaint, I just wish so much that the moral situations, the debate that you were talking about uh, over the moral dilemma, it, it almost seems to me like I would have liked to have had more, more exploration of that stuff because I don't feel like they go very deep into it. And I know that there's a, a ticking clock on them. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's a time limit. I mean, you can only have so much until then, you know, and, and then by the time the second round of what happens happens, mm-hmm. at that point, everybody realizes it's every man for himself here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so I think that th- that's only going to, you can only play something like that in the situation these people are in that can only play out so much. Yeah. And I don't know that the movie did a bad job of that. I'd have to watch it again. I've only seen it the one time, um, you know, and, and maybe they could have done a little more with it, but this was also sort of a, a collection of characters it was, it was, there were a few main ones that they were honing in on, but it was, you know, it, it, it kind of is an ensemble where they're watching this character and they're watching this one hiding here and, and watching what's going on between these guys in the basement. So it was sort of a whole group and you really only had these, this, this moral dilemma coming from one area of one person trying to say, Hey, we've got to save everybody. You know, that it's not, we have no right to take a life. We have no right mm-hmm. to, to do what they're telling us to do and take a life. Um, so I, I think, I don't know how much more you, I mean, they could have done with that in the situation they were put in in this movie. I, I could be wrong about people. I mean, I really could be just 100% off. I, I would just be surprised, honestly, because I think that even even with death at stake, you know, I, I think that more of these people in this film, like if this were a real office, I think more of them wouldn't have the stones or the ability to take the lives of others. And, you know, I think they would probably get killed. I first. agree with I agree with you. Even after the first round, I absolutely agree with you. And I don't think a lot of things happen except from a, a select group mm-hmm. um, who obviously have their own issues. Um, and one of them, you know, which was in the synopsis, um, again, I don't want to go too deep into it either for spoilers, Right. but by the second round, I think everybody realizes, Hey, you know, bleep me if you must, but shit just got real (laughs) and we've got one chance here. I've got one chance to see my family again. 
You know, these are people who have who are consider themselves friends. They're co-workers. And and they, you know, they work together all the time. They consider themselves, you know, friends. They consider themselves a little corporate family. That goes right out the window when you realize there are people at home depending on you. And they touch on that in the movie as well. Yeah. So what what are you going to do? Are you going to sit back and say, yes, I will let my friends take my life? Or is it very important for me? I have a choice to make here. Who's more important to me? My family at home is more important to me. And I've got to turn my back on these friendships. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it actually got to that point until the second round. And I think that's why, for me, it was a little more, again, believable as far as a movie like this is going to be believable. Mm-hmm. Okay. I gotcha. Did, did you guys read any kind of, uh, like, uh, you know, because sometimes, as we know, a horror reflects the problems of the society often. And I wondered if this horror film was born to some extent out of, um, you know, workplace shooters and stuff, because even though that's really not what this is about, a part of me wondered if, you know, that came from someone's psyche because of, you know, the prominence of workplace shooting and, and things like that. I wondered about that. It's, I, I guess it's possible. I didn't really come away with that, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, I was looking more like Battle Royale and just, okay, here's a situation we're going to put people in. Yeah. Um, now, as far as problems, I mean, and again, I think when it gets, you know, it gets to the, the very end of the movie with what happens at the very end of the movie, it was a little too, I don't want to say neat, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little bit too right. put a ribbon on it, put a ribbon and bow on it type of thing. <laughs> right. Um, but up until that point, I was on board with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I'll just tell you guys a couple of things I did like about this. I, I, I liked, it reminded me of the ruins in that, like with that film, the best part of the ruins is what people end up doing to each other because of fear. You know, I love that theme in a horror film and that's right. what we've been discussing here all this time is what they end up having to do because they're so afraid. So I like that. I also like how this is a lot like Game of Thrones in that like anybody could die at any time. And so that can be surprising in this film. And that's pretty cool as well. Um, right. Go ahead. You know, I think I think one thing is that I think the film could have done better is that it lets the audience off the hook pretty easy in terms of um, although, yeah, anybody could die. We don't have we don't have very often characters we like having to kill other characters we like. There, yeah. there are definitely good guys and bad guys and people to root for. And it's okay when these people die or our heroes, you know, luck out of not having to kill any of the people that they like because the bad guys do that for them. And so that stuff is very convenient in terms of um, keeping your our rooting interests where, mm-hmm. you know, a, a general audience would want your rooting interest to be. I think for a horror audience, maybe it would be a little more fun and complicated and devastating emotionally, which is what I like to feel in those kinds of situations in mm-hmm. this type of scenario. I yeah, I agree. I you think know? they started going that way with one character, and I'm thinking of down in the boiler room towards the end of the mm-hmm. movie, but mm-hmm. it didn't go as far. You're right. It didn't go quite as far, I think, as as, uh, as it could have. Yeah. yeah. It could have made it a little more interesting, a little less um, paint by numbers had right. they forced those moral quandaries of having – people we like simply stuck in that situation, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. What do you guys make of this? This is very interesting to me. 
it the the whole um occurrence or the frequency that we're getting now of horror films that are kind of based on a game um like you know kind of like i i wonder if it's the influence of saw you know or like <clears throat> you know i i think it's interesting like there was would you rather um there have been a, a lot of films that were kind of like a horror game is involved in it and do you think that that's strictly just because of the success of saw and that was game based or do you think that there's something in the culture that's inspiring this type of horror game. Oh, I don't know. I think it goes back to the most, the deadliest game or whatever mm-hmm. that film is called, you know, right, I the think most dangerous game, the most yeah. dangerous game. Yes. Right. Thank you. Okay. So I think, I don't know. I don't know. I, it, yeah, absolutely. People ride waves of uh, popularity. Is there something in our culture that's causing it? I'm not sure. I just, I just wondered, maybe not, but um, I don't, uh, aside from like would you rather and the first saw like i don't typically love game horror movies like generally speaking i like it when it's more like strictly like survival horror like very meaning like set in reality type of survival horror i know that that's what this is as well but um i i just you know my final thoughts though just to kind of wrap up I just found it a little bit tiresome. It was kind of repetitive to me, like like the movie 300, Zack Snyder's 300. Like in 300, it's just... Weird comparison? It, what'd you say? It's a, so that's a weird comparison. No, I, I, I think yeah. it's apt, actually, because okay. in 300, there are... It's just like throw a spear and blood squirts, like CGI blood. And then it's like people are getting killed and it's the same action, swords, spears, blood, blood. And it's like very repetitive. And I feel like the most interesting aspects of this, which are kind of the moral dilemmas, like the dilemmas we're talking about where people we like here who are basically good having to kill people we like over here who are also basically good. I wish it had explored more of that. Now, I know there are like the hardcore Maybe the gore hounds out there are like, shut up, Jay the Dead freak. We just wanted to see some good kills, you know? And it's like, that's cool, too. Like, it's got kills. But I, I wish there were a little more heart to it. And and like Dr. Shock said, I think with the ending, I won't spoil it, it doesn't pay off to me. I mean, like, the whole movie, we want an answer to the question why. And, um, you know, the information that we get, what we're given, um, just doesn't do it for me. I think it's not that, very satisfying. Yeah, it's not. It, uh, it does feel a bit saw and a bit hostile to me, though. At the end, mm-hmm. so I like I I kind of get that. Like it and feels also like a little bit, also a little bit humorous. You know, almost yeah. like uh, you, you know, like uh, almost Twilight Zoney. Like there's an element yeah. of inevitability to everything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's definitely that tone to it. But like you know, I think there are really good answers like for example um storm of the century that pays off because when you find out what it's all about and the reason for what's going on it, it delivers the goods i i had chills right. yeah and well, I, my favorite you know we talked about needful things as well that has some of this kind of a vibe to it my favorite movie based on a game is called the game by david fincher i love that one. oh yeah that's good um we just for people who are interested, I, I found it. It's episode episode 39 of Horror Movie Podcast. It was our first attempt at doing a versus episode. And we did Would You Rather versus Choose. Mm-hmm. And then 13 Sins versus Cheap Thrills. 
And yeah. all four of those films have something in common. Right. Yeah. The game aspect. Um, but but there is also, I just want to say, like an ending doesn't have to be fully explained either. Like we've talked about this recently, the end of The Strangers, when you get the the reason, it's like, why why are you doing this? And when you hear that answer, it's shattering. It makes it even scarier because it's just so senseless. But but anyway, I agree. I, in that in that respect, I will agree with you. You know, I mean, in this one, I think I was thinking there had to be a definite answer. Mm-hmm. Something like the strangers, they're they're you know, I thought that ending fit perfectly with that movie. Right. It really did because that, and you're right, that made it much scarier. I don't know if you could have gotten away with that type of ending in this movie. Just because it seems like it was so well organized, and we get that idea of how well organized it was when um, several scenes where people venture under the roof. Uh, but by the same token, I mean I do know what you're talking about. But that, again, I'm not going to, you know, the ending is where I had the biggest issue with the movie. Mm-hmm. I would just have assumed that you know the day end, and not even get the follow up scenes of why. It- what all happened, you know, the, the wizard of Oz ending of it all kind of. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yes. <laughs> right. um, so for me, the Belco experiment, I, I give it a seven out of 10. I mean, it is enjoyable horror. It's action horror. It's, it's well done. I think it, it looks good. It looks pretty convincing. Um, the premise is intriguing. And so, I think it's enjoyable. I'd call it a rental. I think it's a solid rental. Um, I I didn't totally love it, but you know, I think there's a lot to appreciate there. What do you say, Wolfman Josh? Um, I thought it was a solid film. I don't think uh, it had a whole lot of problems in terms of you know flaws that I would point to. I, I you know my biggest criticism, as I've said, is it's a little paint by numbers, but that's not a huge problem for me. It does what it does well, I would say. So I think it's a 7.5, and I think it's an easy rental recommendation for me. I, I could almost go as high as an 8, actually. It's not a buy it for me, but I can imagine you buying it if this is your type of film. I think it's an, I don't think you could go wrong, really, if, you know, if you're into the game type of movies. I think this is a great entry in that kind of subgenre. So. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Thank you. All right, what about you, Dr. Shock? What do you rate it? I, I was teetering uh, like Josh between 7.5 and 8, but I will go with an 8. Um, but I will also call it just a high-priority rental. Um, I, I agree. I think it did what it did well enough, and I think there's enough here that um, you know for horror fans to, uh, to, to really you know, enjoy the movie. Um, again, it... it I don't think the ending was terrible, but it wasn't it wasn't what I was expecting. I, and and I'm not even talking about when we figure out what this was all about. There's even something more beyond that. And that's more what I'm, I'm talking about with the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll say, I'll say eight and I'll say it's a high priority rental. And I think people will enjoy it. OK. All right. Thanks a bunch. That sounds great. So that's our review of the Belco experiment. You can let us know what you think. In the show notes for episode 126. My youngest son just came upstairs. It's 2, 10 in the morning. And he goes, hearing me podcast, he goes, are you guys doing that movie with that real creepy guy? <laughs> and I said, I said, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, we are. And he just kind of stood there for a moment. He goes, he goes that guy's really, that guy really creeped me out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's effective. You know, kids yep. be my cat. 
Yes. Right. All right, Dr. Shaw, well, tell the listeners where they can find more of you on the internet. All right. Uh, at uh, dvdinfatuation.com. Um, number's still going down. I think I'm 84 left and, uh, to get to 2,500. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, <laughs> getting to that number. Um, do you, on Twitter, at DVD Infatuation. I have a Facebook page as well. Several podcasts now, Universal Monsters Cast with Wolfman Josh and Gilman Joel. Um, and a, a slew of, of, of guests and so forth on that, um, which has been great. We have We Deal in Lead. Uh, we just recorded episode number two the other night, which is going to be The Proposition, the uh, 2005 Australian movie. Oh, that's fantastic film. Love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we had some really good discussions about that because I was the only one who had seen it before. Mm. So that, that really made for a very interesting show. And, uh, of course, Land of the Creeps is now back uh, and, and going again. We have another episode coming up. We had just done a George Romero, and it looks like our next one is going to be a Toby Hooper. So, um, yeah, come check me out there. And then if, uh, if you're in the Salt Lake City area in October, swing by, and uh, I will be there as well. Dave will be your cat. There you, well, All right. All right. <laughs> now you're going to have me thinking twice. <laughs> Dave's not coming anymore. Great. Thanks a lot, Dave. <laughs> All right, Josh, I think you got a film to talk to us about called A Dark Song. This is one, man, a lot of people were buzzing about this and like this on Twitter. Yeah, A Dark Song was a really interesting little film. It's a low-budget indie film. It all takes place in a house, but the content is so fascinating and the way the film plays with our sense of reality, it doesn't feel like it takes place in a house. <laughs> if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, the film's directed by Liam Gavin, written by Liam Gavin as well. It stars Steve Oram and Catherine Walker as our two principals. And it really is a two-hander. There are these two people in this house. And we learn as time goes on why they're there. And it, it's it's very good about slowly un raveling peeling back the layers exposing what the story is we're not very sure what it is at the beginning and that's kind of the fun thing about it i think it would make it a lot less fun on a rewatch i feel like you this is the kind of movie you'd maybe want to watch a second time to kind of see where all the pieces fit but then after that that would be kind of it you know because it, it is a, a movie that uh, depends largely on mystery I will say the performances are excellent. So, you know, the performances carry it. And as if someone is really a fan of, of uh, good acting and you just want to study good acting, you know, you could, you could watch it on that level as well. Um, mm -hmm. Steve Oram, it turns out is an occultist who is uh, very familiar with occult practices and conjuring evil and good and he is approached by Catherine Walker. We find out to she wants to make contact with someone in her life. And so um, Steve Orm is this really interesting character where he is he's extremely dismissive of of her and everyone. He's a very angry individual and he takes this very seriously and he's really not even gonna waste his time on her or this house and this project, unless he really, unless she's, he's almost like the soup Nazi. Like she has to do everything <laughs> right. And if she doesn't do it, that's it. No soup for you. No you soup know? for you. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's very much like that. And he, you know, she really has to kind of jump through hoops to please him and to really convince him 
that, you know, she's being completely transparent. Everything's, you know, he is in complete control of the situation and, and she's there to kind of serve it, serve his, uh, you know, process and needs. And so it's fascinating. She has, she has something that she wants to contact and he's the guy that can help her do it. And a lot of the film is a procedural. It follows them as they go through these ritualistic rites. It doesn't really show a lot of the specifics of what those are, interestingly enough, but it just shows them in these rooms for hours. And a lot of it looks like almost like these sleep deprivation, uh, um, torture kind of scenarios where she really just has to sit there and, and pray or whatever they're doing for hours upon end, like three days without eating and they're fasting and, you know, and, and this, it's just, it's just interesting from a, a cultist procedural level to kind of see what they're doing. And eventually of course things do unravel and, um, and it gets very interesting, but mostly it's just a character piece between these two people. And it's so unrelatable what they're going through and what they're doing. And yet mm-hmm. the, the, the way that they are each damaged at their core is relatable. It's very human. And that's what ultimately probably drives the interest in the film. I mean, me, I love any kind of procedural police procedurals and, and and whodunits and detective shows. And so I like that kind of stuff anyway, but really it's the human drama probably for most audiences that's going to, to draw them in. And, and it's really, you know, these two performances. Now I, Catherine Walker, I wasn't really familiar with. She'd been in some other horror films. She's in Dark Touch from 2013, Ferocious Planet from 2011. I was not familiar with her. I love her, though, in this movie. She's great. I, I, I'd like to see more of her. Um, Steve Oram is more familiar to me. He's in The World's End in a small role. He's in The Canal in a small role. He's the star of Sightseers, which I talked about Sightseers on movie podcast weekly back when we reviewed kill list. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and sightseers as an, is another film by that director. And, um, and Steve Oram is the star of that film. And and that was kind of a, a more lighthearted film than kill list that I watched as a pick me up after both kill list and after a dark song, (laughs) but it's still pretty dark in and of itself, but it's a lot lighter in tone and a little, you know, it's a comedy in in some ways, a very dark comedy um, compared to these films, but yeah, I, I, I really like sightseers. Actually, I would recommend that to any of our listeners who like kind of a indie mumblecore vibe to films, but that have a very sinister kind of horror twist to them um a dark song i love as well and and it's not a film that i really as i mentioned see myself revisiting too often but it was a great experience it was one of the my favorite film experiences i've had so far this year so um nice okay i mean i still rating wise i i probably come in like in the 7.5 uh area for it but it's a strong rental recommendation for me. I could even see buying it were it not so uh, unrewatchable for me. You know what I mean? Like I would gotcha. buy it for its quality, but I just don't see myself really watching it much. So Okay. I'm with you. All right. So that's a, a dark song, and it's uh, Josh says it's 7.5. It gives it a strong rental. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I, I noticed on Twitter people were chiming in about that and – 
they kind of yeah, dug some it. people think it's a masterpiece you know i've heard that word thrown around with it and i think it is very unique something we haven't really seen so that's cool excellent okay well, um, I, I thought I'd do just a quick little mini review of Annabelle Creation. And if we have crossover listeners from Movie Podcast Weekly, I told them over there that I'd give a more in-depth review on this. But but it turns out this is going to be the Movie Podcast Weekly review all over again. So I apologize if people are displeased by that. But this is Annabelle Creation. It's in theaters August 11th. It's still playing, I think, and you can find it places. Uh, I heard a lot of good things. I actually was going to basically wait for Redbox on this, Josh, but I had people like, um, I remember Jody, Jody Horror Guy really dug it. And there were people on Twitter saying, hey, this is actually a really good movie, pretty scary and stuff. So I had to work it in, you know, because I think the Conjuring universe is pretty effective and pretty freaky, even though I'm not a supernatural horror guy, typically. Huge fan of the Conjuring films. I have not... Uh, done my due diligence with the Annabelle films and I feel bad about that. Um, and I, I feel, I apologize to our listeners who are MPW crossovers because had I, you know, done the work I should have done and gone out and seen this film, we could have had maybe a different discussion about yeah. this one, <laughs> no. but, uh, that's, so that's my fault also to some degree. Um, but yeah, I, I heard only good things about this. I mean, I've heard this is one of the, Best horror films of the year, frankly. And Jake Parker, who's one of our listeners, mm-hmm. he gave us an early look at this one. He tweeted us several weeks ago, August 9th, it was. said, I saw a screener for Annabelle Creation, the scariest Conjuring Universe film, in my opinion. 9.5 out of 10. Go see this film, HMP Community, he said. So I was really pumped because I, I am a big fan of David F. Sandberg, even though uh, lights out was a little underwhelming as a feature, but I, I really have a lot of faith in this guy is one of the great hopes for the future of horror cinema. So yeah, Jay are my hopes misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually it is a, a, it is a good film. It's a good horror film. And in terms of, okay. Cause you, everybody knows that I am often pretty hard on the, um, major theater releases that are wide released and they're supernatural horror uh, I'm usually kind of down on those, but actually this is very well made. And I had a, a quite a similar experience as I had when I, when I first saw the conjuring in the theater, do you remember wow. the pre and what I mean is like right before the, the title card comes up on the conjuring. I remember when I saw that in the theater in the opening with the whole Annabelle thing. And then um, I, I believe was the Annabelle thing, the, the opening of the conjuring I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. And, and then and then they show you The Conjuring in gigantic letters on the screen. I remember thinking, this movie's going to be a 10 out of 10. I mean, I was just so pumped. And the way this film opens, I mean, if, if you were going to go see this film in the theater, which, you know, isn't a bad idea. I mean, it's, it's good. The opening is worth the price of admission for me. Um, you know, and I'm talking what leads up to the title card because when in this opening sequence, Josh, and and I think it will affect you the same way. uh, My mouth was gaping open and I had my hand covering my mouth, which I don't usually do that just so people know, right? I was like actually kind of like scrunched up in my theater chair, freaked out and like, Oh, like horrified. Right. And so, and, and I hadn't seen something of, of that nature 
um, to that, like that was that well done for me on a visceral level since like Pet Cemetery. So, and and that's a film wow. that I really love. So that the opening of this is a ten, fantastic. And and then you get into and for people who aren't aware, I mean, of course, the Annabelle thing was kind of like a, just like a, a short story that was within the conjuring to kind of show you know the skills and the abilities of the warrens to kind of introduce them and we could see their competence and so forth and then we got like um you know the spin-off movie annabelle from a couple of years ago and that wasn't bad it was okay you know and then this this goes back farther and this is kind of like the origin story of annabelle the doll and how she got to be um <laughs> what she is so so you got that i mean it goes back to the the doll maker's home you know the, the doll maker's shop is where we are and it's one of those horror films josh where you've got horror happening to those who deserve at least you know you get these um these orphans they they don't really have a place to go and so um they are kind of put up in this doll makers home because they have the space and so these girls go to live there and one of our primary characters has um she's differently abled you know she has a mm-hmm. uh, some, you know some challenges and and so when you when you see the setup at this house it's got those stairs that go up and then the chair that's like elect electric and it, it you sit in it and it goes up the mm-hmm. stairs slowly and i'm like Gremlin style i'm yeah. like yeah, i'm like this is a great I'm so happy this is going to be in a horror movie because you know that's going to pay off later. So, like, I had a lot of fun little, you know, evil giggles to myself knowing that that was going to come back around. And it and it does, and of course. And then you have, um like, a dumb waiter in this movie, and it's like, you know, that's coming back around. So there are some fun things. And, and when this opened, I'm like, oh, I am in the hands of some great horror filmmakers, and this is going to be a blast. And I will say it's good, but um, there were still some things that really bothered me, uh, kind of like The Conjuring. I mean, we have, do you remember how I had some problems with the physics in The Conjuring? Like, yes, <laughs> like, like I, we, we remember. Uh, yeah. Right, and everybody hates that. But and I it was the first battle on this pod. I was like episode two or something. It, so that was yeah, one of our first big battles. That, that's true. That's true. And in this, like you have you have a character that just goes like straight up at one point, and I'm like, what is going on? You know, and that's just weird. You know, it's 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 comical to me, and it's like, why are you doing that? But the low point of this movie, and you know, a lot of people say these are nitpicks, and that's fine. The low point, you have a character at one point that says your soul like that like your soul and it's so cheesy josh i i strained my eyes rolling them like i'm like i'm like guys don't do stuff like that that's dumb you know it wasn't scary it was dumb but otherwise i think it's a pretty creepy movie it's it's pretty effective It, it doesn't do a lot of things that are new like it's not a lot of stuff you haven't seen before but it's a beautiful film to look at it has some good scares, and so for me, it's a seven out of ten. Um, you could go see it in the theater if you like the Conjuring universe, uh, but but for me, it's like a rental. So, what do you think? You can do well, it. Well, you gave Annabelle from 2014 a six point five. Said see it in the theater and rent it. That was in episode 32. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like this is only slightly better. Mm-hmm. Seven. All right. Yeah, yeah, I would say that seven theater rental. Are you gonna you gonna work this in at some point? Oh, 
Absolutely. As I mentioned, I have a lot of faith in David Sandberg. I love the uh, the Conjuring universe. So this is something that you know I, I must I must have. I, I got to tell you, my biggest disappointment surrounding this film was the news that David F. Sandberg has been tapped to do one of the next Marvel movies. I I'm really sad. Like this is a guy who. You know, I, I feel like should be honing his craft, making horror. I feel like it's a little too soon to. This is kind of the example, you know, that when we talked about the women filmmakers in Hollywood, uh, we have all these women with these vast resumes and of experience and great filmmaking, and they cannot get hired to do a big blockbuster. And you'd think after Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman, that would change a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Now we've got David F. Sandberg on his third film is is making a Marvel movie. That's kind of shocking, but. Um, Mostly, I'm just jealous, and I want to keep him in our horror world. I don't want him to go away. But, right. uh, you know, that's just me being greedy. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to checking this out. So mm-hmm. I, I apologize again to the listeners. I, I didn't have a chance to see it before this episode. but It's worth your time. And if you were going to watch, you know, these Annabelle movies, I, I would say definitely watch Annabelle Creation first and then watch Annabelle. Even, even though that's different from the order of release because much like the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid Part 2 or the Descent and the Descent Part 2, how it leads right up to where the other film is, where it, mm-hmm. you know, um, this does that as well. So, it, like, it leads you right up to Annabelle. And so it would well, I got be- the feeling that the producers of, of the Conjuring films were not happy with Annabelle and that David F. Sandberg didn't like Annabelle. And so I almost wonder if they didn't do a prequel to kind of distance themselves from that film a little bit and kind of uh, reset, you know, that this portion of the Conjuring universe. Well, I'll say this about it. I mean, having seen all the Conjuring universe or related films now, I think the short story version of Annabelle in the first Conjuring is the best. It's the best Annabelle horror story that we've gotten. But, um, you know, these two are not bad movies at all and they're freaking creepy sometimes so yeah i worry about that with the nun corin hardy who we both like from the hallow is you know directing the nun yeah for the conjuring universe and yeah i worry that the nun and the conjuring 2 was the best part of that as well so Mm -hmm. yeah for sure we'll see what happens but yeah i mean the listeners can tell me in the show notes all the reasons why i'm wrong and they will say this so i'll say it on the podcast so they can save their typing it's true that uh, supernatural horror isn't necessarily my favorite kind of thing, and I am unduly hard on those kind of movies. So maybe this, if you like supernatural horror, maybe it'd be like a 9 or 10 to you. It's just a 7 to me. <laughs> okay, Josh, we had some requests uh, to um, watch The Transfiguration. I did not get to see it, but I understand that you did. Yeah, I was considering this one for my uh, my uh, screaming online at one point. So, you know, it is on Netflix, and this is one that was a festival film that we'd heard about for a long time. And so I've been excited to see it just based on the poster. I don't know if you've, you've seen the poster. It's one mm-hmm. of those minimalist-style posters. It's awesome. Just a young boy walking with his backpack, but his shadow is Nosferatu, the vampire's shadow. <laughs> um, yes. So very exciting uh, for a vampire fan such as myself, and particularly of Nosferatu. Um. You know, I think that some people argue this isn't a horror movie. It, it could be seen as a very, very dark drama or, or thriller, potentially. I think it does cross line into horror. 
Um, but most of the horror elements are kind of meta in some ways. I mean, it, it, it definitely, I will say, crosses the line into horror a, a couple of times. But it, it's a it's a dark film. It's about it's it has kind of an indie movie vibe, you know, kind of a Sundance type of film vibe. And it was a festival film. It was a can, but South by Southwest. Um, the the IMDb synopsis is when a troubled teen Milo who has a fascination with vampire lore meets the equally alienated Sophie, the two form a bond that begins to blur Milo's fantasy into reality. I would say that's not a great description of the film, particularly that last little bit. Um, this is directed and written by Michael O'Shea, and it stars Eric Ruffin as Milo and Chloe Levine as Sophie. And, um, Miles' brother as well is an important character in the film. I can't remember who played him, but it's fun. It's got little cameos by people like Lloyd Kaufman and Larry Fessenden. So horror fans will appreciate that. <laughs> but the basic story is, yeah, it's just boy. It's, it's a meta vampire movie where this young boy who we believe to be a vampire, at least I believe to be a vampire when the film starts is also obsessed with kind of vampire culture. It's a movie where vampires movies exist if that makes sense so neat, this, neat. these characters watch you know he has the lost boys and he's got let the right one in he references that in the film and uh you know he's got all this stack of vampire movies when he meets this girl and kind of starts to fall in love she tries to get him to read twilight and he's really not into it <laughs> and so it's kind of fun as a horror fan to see this you know this kid who's obsessed with the vampires and we you know as again we believe is a vampire the very opening scene of the film we see him sucking the blood from a dead man's neck in a in a public restroom and so um we kind of start out with that expectation i will say as the film goes on it starts to toy with uh, your perception as to whether or not he's a vampire actually or like in the mythical sense and um <laughs> by the you know by i would say even by the midpoint it kind of dispels this idea that he's a vampire altogether and it really becomes the story of a troubled young man who is dealing with not you know just his uh his own personal kind of pain in life with and using kind of this horror filter to kind of uh, act out, I guess, inappropriately. Um, what is a vampire, I guess, is an interesting question, you know. And, um, you know, he mentions, you know, I'm more of a, I'm more of a let the right one in kind of guy. He, you know, he tells this girl that he's dating. And, um, and it feels like that kind of movie to a large degree, you know, uh, it, it's lower budget and you can see that in, in the, in the cinematography and the, you know, on the camera quality and stuff like that. It, it feels like shot on video, kind of like, like early two thousands indie where, you know, where everyone was shooting on SD handy cams and <laughs> kind of has a little bit of that vibe to it. Right. But, right. but there are some beautiful shots in the film and there are some good performances. I do think, um, Eric Ruffin gets by on not having to say very much. And, you know, his understated performance really worked well for the character. But I, I kind of did feel like when he did have scenes where he was supposed to speak more, he wasn't that strong. I did, again, didn't matter for most of the film because he didn't speak most of the film and it kind of worked with what, you know, what they were going for. So um, ultimately, mm -hmm. his performance was fine. And Chloe Levine's performance was fine. And I, I really did think the older brother character, who I really should look up since I'm about to say, I think he was maybe the best actor, you know, that we really see in the <laughs> film. But um, there were some 
there are some great moments here. It was it was it was a very enjoyable film, and it goes very 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 dark. You know, I think it it, uh, it definitely commits the um, Doctor Walking Dead Kyle William Bishop horror rule of uh, <laughs> of not being afraid afraid to uh, go there when it comes to either I won't I won't tell you either kids and or animals and so mm-hmm. um, it, it definitely crosses the horror line and uh, it's a just pretty disturbing little film and and quite. Uh, enjoyable and well-made and I, and I look forward to future, hopefully horror outings from Michael O'Shea. If he isn't swept up to direct the next uh, Marvel movie, <laughs> next I Marvel guess. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated by the way you described the fact that it's like, okay, is he a vampire or not? I, I think that's I, really I, interesting. I, I wish they had push that further. I basically, I wish the whole movie was that because I really do feel like they answer that question for you. But I, I don't think, um, I don't know. I don't think they had to, like, I feel like the whole, the entire film would work still leaving that somewhat ambiguous. And maybe some people see this and think it is ambiguous. I, I don't think it is, but I, I don't know. I, I like it. I like it for what it is as well, but a little more mystery would have been even better for me. Hmm. So it's definitely a misdirection. Because okay. you know they they start out the film like I say with a pretty standard vampire kill kind of situation, and so well that's interesting you know. because like in in the Babadook, for example, I mean we talked about in the past whether that was you know was it was it a metaphorical monster or a literal monster, and, yeah, and 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 so I yeah. think that's pretty cool when that happens because yeah. and especially with the Babadook because the whole time. When I first saw it, I was viewing it as a literal monster. But then after our review and talking to you, uh, I decided it was metaphorical. And then for me, at least in my mind, and that made it so much more powerful to me. And so does this film work in that way or not? Maybe a little bit. As you're talking about it, I can definitely see that, you know, um, it's not the same. And I would say it's not as scary as the Babadook. I mean, I, f- I truly found the Babadook terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think this is more, like I say, a very dark drama that's not afraid to go there to cross the border into the disturbing nature and uh, of what is horror, you know, that that type of thing. But it's not really ever really scary. It feels like more like an episode of The Wire that has um, you know horror <laughs> elements to it. You know what I mean? Really? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so the wire huh like that's now that really sells me because i love the wire i know you know you know when they you know the first season when they're dealing with the young drug dealer kids Mm -hmm. that's kind of that's kind of the what it feels like oh now i'm pumped i mean because it's like my (laughs) all-time favorite tv series well i probably that's probably a bad pull then for you but um (laughs) i don't know what i'm trying to communicate is it's about a young black underage boy i guess in the kind of the projects basically Mm -hmm. trying to get by and um and uh you know but then he is obsessed with vampires that's awesome (laughs) so yeah okay well it's a it's a great movie it's fun to watch i think horror fans would enjoy it if they're open to kind of an indie drama vibe for most of the film um, I, I thought it was great. So, uh, for me, yeah, I would give this one a, a 7.5. I feel like that's my, that my number I'm stuck on tonight. And, um, <laughs> and I call it a strong rental recommendation. 
Okay, it's seven point five. Into that indie vibe. Okay, strong rental. All right, and that's for the Transfiguration. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it, Josh. That's um, I- I'm more intrigued than I was before, even. So I liked your review of that. I'm kind of excited to check it out now. For those of you who have already seen the Transfiguration, our listener and friend of the show, Dino, has sent us a question and answer audience interview with the writer-director Michael O'Shea from the Cleveland International Film Festival. Now, this does include major plot spoilers for The Transfiguration, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to insert that at the end of this episode. I'm going to move it until later in the show, right before the time when we kind of wrap up with our final segment. So stick around for that if you've seen The Transfiguration, and thanks to Dino for sharing it with us. Okay, well, (laughs) buckle up, everybody, because we're going to get serious with (laughs) some dark, bleak, painful horror. Let's move into (laughs) this review of Killing Ground. Yikes. Yes. Now, for those who remember, uh, earlier in the year, much earlier in the year, we had Kagan Breitenbach on the show, friend of the show and great musician, responsible for our awesome orchestration of Fred Ingram's theme at the beginning of this show. Mm -hmm. He was at Sundance and he got to actually see a sneak peek of this Australian horror film at Sundance called Killing Ground. And when he talked about it, I was totally sold. I knew it was like my kind of film. It's um, survival horror, very much set in reality and is written and directed by Damien Power. And so basically what you have is... uh, I'm trying to think of how to discuss it because I I want, when you watch this film, and I hope everybody does, if you think you can handle it. No, I'm just kidding. But I I, I think if people, when people watch this, I want it to kind of like unfold and, you know, peel away for you like the way that it did for me. But basically you have these, um, it's like a green part of Australia. I know there are like various different places in Australia, not just the outback deserty look that we usually see, but this like this green part of Australia and this uh, young couple was going there to camp at the Gangeli Falls. Okay. And so they're, it's just the two of them going out in the woods. So this kind of takes place out in the wilderness, which I know is appealing to a lot of horror fans. But you'll see, and I'll, I'll just, I'm trying to decide as I'm reviewing this right now how to talk about the narrative structure. Um, I, I feel like the director, Damien Power, does something very interesting with the way that this film is built. And I won't reveal what it is. I'll just kind of give you the heads up that there's something kind of unique going on with the narrative. And I feel like that's a good enough service for you where I'm not telling you exactly what it is, but it's neat because, you know, at first you might be a little bit confused like I was. And then when I realized what was happening, I'm like, Oh, this is very cool because it actually, the way this narrative is structured in this film actually informs your suspense because you know, things you have information due to it being, you know, a little bit, not in just a linear sequence, You have information that, that, you know, the characters don't, and that adds to suspense. So that's really cool. Another thing I'll tell people right up front, this is one of the very few New Year's Eve horror films. It it opens like um, four days after Christmas, 
like on December 29th. And then like, you know, uh, the majority of the film, I believe, takes place right on, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And and I think that's kind of cool. They even have like a ball drop countdown in it. And cool. I mean, how many New Year's Eve horror films do we have now? Is Not it enough? <laughs> exactly. Now, is it, you know, they're camping. So I just want to tell you that there's not like, you know, Times Square right. or anything like that. Right. I mean, that's what we Americans think of in New Year's Eve horror films. But um, but still, I mean, you got that in there and you got a little bit of the Christmas thing. You got the character playing Silent Night on guitar. So it's kind of a it's not an uplifting holiday movie, but it's got that holiday horror to it. <laughs> and in the first half hour, I'll just kind of tell you, because I'm a clock watcher with horror movies, the first half hour is a little bit aimless. It's a little bit meandering. And I think there's purpose in that, Josh. I think it's to, to um, disarm you a little bit. You take your guard down and you're like, this isn't a horror movie. This is just about people going camping, you know, <laughs> and man, you, ugh, it gets real. It gets real really like once it like it opens up and becomes what it is and you're seeing where this is going you're like oh my goodness well you know what you're saying reminds me of is wolf creek oh yeah which another australian horror film yeah it has a lot uh it it, it really and i won't say it owes a lot to wolf creek but it reminded me a lot of that and not just because they're australian but the to the tone and the seriousness and except the difference, I think, is Wolf Creek almost gets a little bit, um, you know, mustache twirling <laughs> with with the horror. And I'm, I don't mean that as a total criticism or anything. It's really cool. But um, it's trying to create an iconic horror character, which is it, different. Well than, said that that is very good. And, and what we have here is not this caricature of a monster or monsters, plural. What we have here is like real life stuff, like with real life, um, <laughs> real life situations yeah. that could actually happen. So that's the the biggest takeaway here is that because the, the quote unquote villains of this film, I'll just leave it at that, or the the ones that we would consider to be monsters, uh, the film actually shows us them early, and we get to know them, and there's even kind of like a human side of them. And you're like, oh, well, and, and I was actually complaining. I wrote down in my notes because I was being, you know, a little bit judgmental, a little too hasty, Josh. I was like, wow, they're they're just totally taking away the, the teeth from these people because I'm seeing their human side and blah, blah, blah. But trust me, yeah. it does not matter. You will be <laughs> you will be affected. And even the soundtrack here, like the soundtrack informs you. It's almost like the score is warning you about what you are going to experience because it's sad, it's mournful, but also suspenseful. Um, great survival horror flick here. My favorite aspect is um, two aspects. It is not afraid. As you mentioned with the Transfiguration, it is not afraid to go there. And of all the horror movies I've ever seen, um, this is among the most severe in terms of where it goes and how, you know, like the violence is depicted right before your eyes unflinchingly. And it's not super stylized. It's not super underscored or highlighted, but it just kind of happens. And you're like, it's shattering because it's like, oh, I just witnessed this. And it and it feels totally real. And, and because of that, Josh, 
it just shakes. It just jarred my insides. And there's also a, a, you know, we as viewers, when we watch a horror film, we relate to the characters. A lot of times we will find someone to identify with. And you and I, you know, we're, we're the, the gentlemen of our, our families, the, yeah. the, the, ma- the male figure. <clears throat> and so um, what's interesting, <laughs> oh yeah, Su- you know how tough, super tough we are. Um, what I love is this goes into a little bit, a little bit of force majeure territory where it's like, what happens if you're not a hero? What happens if you're not brave enough? And like, how horrifying is that? And like, so this takes it to a very dark and bleak place. I won't go into that anymore. Just to I don't say know that. why I love things that undermine my own masculinity, but <laughs> like, I think it's because I love the pain. It's so painful to watch, you know, like it is. Uh, and uh, because I think, you know, I don't know if it's a male thing or not, but I think there is something with guys where you kind of, you know, you grew up watching superhero movies or whatever, and you kind of feel like you're going to be a, you'd be a hero in this situation. And then mm-hmm. to just really see a guy fail, miserably at uh, doing even the, you know, the simplest of things in the case of force majeure. But in this case, it sounds like much more harrowing. Yes. Um, it's just a nice little bit of humble pie to have to kind of, you know, just talk yourself through that. Could I actually do what I think I would do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and the fact that, you know, they, they have you, well, if you're a male watching this, so, you know, like at least in my situation when I was watching this, they had you identifying with that character. It's almost like this dirty trick. And and then it happens and, and you're like in those shoes and it's it's kind of um, it's very un, unsettling on a whole different level. So there are lots of reasons why this film will disturb you and and, and stir you up. And it, it, it it's very unflinching and bleak and dark about that. I can't even talk about. Uh, why or where it goes, but I'll just kind of leave it at that. It's it's worth, you know, it's worth seeing it, like the price of admission, just for the ride it takes you on on that little subplot. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, this is the basically the, the camping trip gone wrong, and uh, it is absolutely brutal, and I mean brutal. You have to you have to pick yourself up after you're watching this because, I mean, it, it takes a lot of the light out of your soul. But um, this is a 9.5 out of 10 to me. Killing Ground is... Wow. It is incredible. This is a must-see. This is without question one of the best films, best horror films of uh, 2017. And for those who have doubted me in the past about what I judge to be horror, I promise <laughs> you... This is horror and uh, bring it. So watch it. So Josh, are you sold? Are you going to watch Killing Ground? I'm sold in the sense that I'm really happy you found a movie that works for you this well, because I love (laughs) when they're great. You know, I just love when there's great films made in general, but especially great horror movies. And um, it doesn't sound like my kind of movie necessarily, uh, but <laughs> I'll, I'll probably I'll probably watch it eventually. I'm not. It's not based on your description. I'm not rushing out to see it just because um, I don't I don't love bleak quite as much as you do. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I like I like camping. So <laughs> well, let, let <laughs> me might, just let me yeah. just say this though. I mean, for you and the listeners, if you are if you listeners are as uh, passionate about putting together end of the year top 10 horror lists like we are we're kind of 
we're kind of psycho about this and nuts about it. So Josh, this is, this is a, an absolute must before the end of the year. This is, I'm telling yeah. you and, and same with it. the listeners. So I, I hope you do, but boy, I loved I it. it. So if I didn't say it already, this is a buy it for me. And although yeah. I would, I don't know if I could even make myself watch it again. It, it's that difficult, but it's, <laughs> it's a must see 9.5 killing ground. That's cool. All right. That's cool. Yeah, I know Kagan thought you were going to love this. He gave he gave it an eight, but I remember at the time he thought, this is Jay's kind of movie right here. Yeah. <laughs> he was exactly right. Thank you, Kagan. You're the man. Okay, um, Josh, why don't you tell us about Hounds of Love? Well, as long as we're in Australia, yeah, let's stay there with Hounds of Love. This is an Australian crime drama horror film. It's based on true events. Um, in 1987, Perth, Australia, John and Evelyn White are a pair of serial killers who target teenage girls. One night, Vicky Maloney, who impetuously sneaks out of the house for a forbidden party, is lured by the pair into their clutches. Now paying dearly for her naivete, Vicky must endure a horrific nightmare of confinement and torture at the hands of her depraved pair. So, yeah, that's what it is. Also, not exactly my kind of movie. Very bleak, very high tension. I love based on a true story types of films. And the performances here are incredibly effective. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just really, really disturbing stuff. And uh, Emma Booth, who I believe is our is our main character, Evelyn. Um, man, is she good in this? I mean, just, you know, we talk about the old actors being brave thing, you yes, know, yes. this is a brave performance in the sense, in that sense, you know, hmm. Stephen Curry also is the male antagonist. He is terrifying. And it's interesting because he's such a kind looking guy. When you see him, he, he seems like a jolly fellow, but he immediately undercuts his cherubic looks with just being horrifying in nature <laughs> and then Ashley Cummings, who is kind of their victim of, of choice. Um, she does a great job as well, but man, it's really those performances. In this case, you have three, a three hander <laughs> for okay. all those out there with three hands. Um, it's really just this trio <laughs> that carry the whole film. And it's, it's the, it's, it's not a torture film, you know, in the ways that people, have described and I, and I just recently found that this is uh, a phrase that people dislike greatly the torture porn label I don't think you abuse that term I wish there were a better term for that but I do yeah. think there needs to be something to identify that type of film but it's I'm a torture you. film I guess is what a, what I would call them okay. um, gotcha you know, but yeah, so this I would, what I would say is this is not exactly that kind of film it's not a film that's based on watching people's fingernails get ripped out it's a film that is about these characters interactions and it's about sadness and being broken and what uh fear and pain can do if they're turned uh you know outward rather than inward <laughs> and um mm -hmm. it's it's just really brutal you know it's really bleak and um but you know it does have it does have kind of a mostly drama thriller vibe to it again it crosses the line into horror for me 
but it's it, and it's and it's way more intense than the average drama or thriller. Yeah, you know? I mean, it sounds like a suspense film as well. Like really, like the yeah. suspense is drawn out pretty long. No? Yeah, but but it's not typical. It's not a typical suspense film. I don't know. It it is definitely unique. It's it's not exactly something i've seen before but um you know i think it's keeping up the tradition of just really strong horror coming out of australia and we you know we talked about that a little bit with sean Byrne when he was on the show when we reviewed the devil's candy you know he he was saying it's it's funny because internationally all of the films that really break out of australia are the horror films but locally they're kind of still seen as the outsiders and they don't get respect from their local film industry and, and uh, awards and everything. So it is funny. Like this is just another one of those where this is probably one of the best films to come out of Australia this year had killing ground and the devil's candy not been made. Jeez. I mean, this is a really strong year for Australian horror cinema. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. It's probably not getting the respect it deserves back home, but uh, yeah, I, I, this is not my type of film. I would say of the type of film it is, it's probably in the nine range. Uh, for me, I, you know, I I come in more of the seven point five range for this one. Okay, but um, but I think if this is your genre, this is probably as you kind of said with Annabelle Creation. If you're a paranormal fan, it's probably a nine or ten. That's how how I feel about this. If you if you're into the movie where people are trapped in a house and it's kind of about like human bondage and human slavery kind of a situation. Uh, you'll love this one. This is, again, it's based on a true story. These were real serial killers in Australia. So that adds to me a whole level of interest and a whole level of um, kind of allowing it to break horror, you know, uh, cinematic conventions, storytelling conventions, because it's really happened. And so I love that this film does go unexpected places and that those unexpected places ostensibly are real. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. What, what do you predict knowing me as you do? Cause you really know me pretty well. I think, what do you think I'll think about hounds of love? Just curious. I'm guessing you'd like this one. And I think you'd give it probably an eight or so would be my guess. I think this, you're going to be, I don't know if it's, it's not quite as going as far as what it sounds like killing ground is, but I think this, I could see this making your list at the end of the year. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually very interested in it from what you've described. It is lighter on the horror, but I think you'll appreciate it just for what it is. You know, I think if you were to review this, let's say on movie podcast weekly, I think it would, it could make a list of yours potentially as well. You know? Oh, great. Okay. Excellent. That's hounds of love then. And, um, will you say the rating one more time? I'm sorry. So I'm going to give that one a 7.5 okay. and I, and I'd call it, uh, for me, it's a rental. You know, I think again, if this is your genre, it's probably a buy it and a, and a nine, but <laughs> okay. I you know, for you. me, it's a 7.5 and a rental. All right, so that's Hounds of Love out of Australia. Yeah, they're really bringing it now. I mean, I, I love Big, these Aussie yeah. films. That's great. Man, I mean, you're saying that The Killing Ground is going to make your list. For me, The Devil's Candy is right now vying for one or two. It's like it's it's kind of a toss-up between my one or two spot this year. So I think we're going to see a lot of Australian horror cinema on our year-end list this <laughs> that's year. That's awesome. Exciting. Yes, yeah. and, and I totally, I told Josh, the listeners aren't, they don't know this, but I told Josh that I really tried to work in The Devil's Candy among all the films that we saw this time. 
but I had something unexpected come up. But I, because of how much he loves it, I'm definitely going to work it in because I got to see this. Because, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be on, <laughs> on a lot of lists. Yeah, and if you're new to the show, if you're a new listener, um, I would recommend checking out Horror Movie Podcast episode 96, where we dove deep into Australian horror cinema. We did feature reviews of The Tunnel, The Loved Ones, and Wolf Creek, but really spent a long time talking about Australian horror cinema. And then um, episode 113, which was our heavy metal horror episode, but as I mentioned, director Sean Byrne, he was the director of The Loved Ones, and... um, I asked him some questions about that film as well as his new film, The Devil's Candy, which stars Americans and is shot in Texas. Um, but you know, as a, you know, he's the Australian filmmaker behind it, the auteur behind it. So, okay, all right. Well, I'll tell you a film that's not going to be on my list at the end of the year, John. All right, and I no hate. Way. I'm very sad because nobody. I don't know of anybody out there who's been a bigger champion of the open water films one and two at least than I have. I mean, I, I get in arguments. Yeah. Right. I mean, I get in arguments with, with, Mm -hmm. with people about this, like, um, geek cast Rye on a (laughs) geek cast live podcast. I get in arguments with, with his dad. I visited Ryan in Indiana (laughs) and was fighting with his dad and, um, his dad is no small man, you know, like, but like, I I guess when his dad saw the first open water, I have told this before, but he stands outside the theater and, told people not to go in and see it and i just think that's a crime you know like and, and then open water to adrift is one of my all-time favorite horror films now it won't be for most people i'll just say that up front but i just think that is a brilliant movie and so if you want to hear a great well what i think is a great review with uh, kyle bishop <laughs> it's on horror metropolis we were oh, i love that that was one of my favorite listens ever and it was one of the things that made me fall in love with Kyle Bishop, mm-hmm. um, you know, he laid out kind of some of those horror rules that we're talking about tonight, actually. Yeah. In that episode, I first heard them. So, yeah, really yeah. enjoyed So, So, that brings us to Open Water 3, Cage Dive. And we recently <laughs> did some, you know, a shark episode, right? Yep. And and we were looking for this coming out. Now, did you end up seeing this one, Josh? No, I didn't. I didn't see this or 47 meters down or... 12 feet deep or anything involved with measurements. So I apologize. <laughs> okay. Well, 47 meters down is like a, a very obvious kind of comparison, especially this year, because there's a lot of similarity because that has like um, the cage aspect. And um, I know the listeners love listeners like that. And they were disappointed that I was so hard on uh, 47 meters down. And after seeing open water three cage dive, now I regret being so hard on 47 meters <laughs> down because because it is um, a much better film than this one. Okay, so here's what it is. Here, Basically, it opens with the little title card. This is a, a found footage film, and they give you the little preface. It says, in 2015, an underwater camera was found at the bottom of the ocean. We would like to warn viewers that the footage on the camera contains graphic material. Well, I'd like to warn listeners that not really, not not so much, like not as much as you you you're expecting. Now, I, I'm I'm trying really hard not to be snarky, Josh, because <clears throat> you know I understand that this is somebody's artwork and people worked hard on this, so I'm I'm trying not to diss it, but I got to be really straight with people. 
<laughs> the premise is you you basically get these um three Americans are from California, I believe. They go to um, Australia. They want to go on this shark diving exposition. They're out on this boat, and this freak wave comes, which happened in real life, by the way, recently. That was kind of weird. Anyway, a freak wave comes and, like, capsizes the boat, flips them over, and, you know, so now they're in this shark-infested waters with no boat, and so they're stuck in open water, you know? Uh, and, and really there's not a lot of cage dive, you know, there's not a lot of cage related to this. Whereas in 47 meters down, it was all about the cage. Now I have to, um, stop for a moment and, and in the podcast because, and I'm not being a sissy, but there's kind of a scary spider crawling across my, my desk where I'm podcasting. (laughs) I know you're making fun of me, but the thing is, um, you know, You go ahead and make fun. It's just a, it was a little distracting, I have to say. You know, right. not as not as uh, scary as uh, sharks, but definitely scarier than this movie. A little spider, right? <laughs> it wasn't little. Wait, it was, so, would you like this better? Had it been titled "Open Water Three Capsized" or something like that? Yeah, that's actually way more fitting because yeah, 40, <laughs> 47 meters down incorporates the cage, and and this doesn't, and that's in the title, and I just it, it's it's bizarre to me. But, anyways. So it the, fits with all the weird naming of these shark movies though, that we've been talking about. <laughs> I, I guess that's true for sure. <clears throat> so anyways, you have uh, basically you have two best friends and, you know, a girl like one of the one of them is dating the girl, you know, and and of course, you know, among them you have it's like that movie Bear from 2010, I believe. There, there's some more complications to their relationship. So right. in the middle of this life threatening situation, <laughs> of course, we're going to have fights about the drama in our lives. Right. And, and so you have a lot of that. But anyways, I won't take a lot of your time. Josh. So there's three people. So you're saying there's a potential for a triangular uh, orientation there is what you're saying. Oh, yes. Yes. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but I mean, you okay. guys do the math out there. Anyways, here's the biggest problem to this. The the camera is is very, because it's found footage, right? The camera is very close up to them in the water. And and whereas like on, on open water, you know, the camera was back from them because they weren't trying to do this conceit of found footage. Same thing with open water too, adrift. The camera could be back from them, but because you got this camera all up in their mix, like really close to them, it's it's super annoying. It's hard to see anything. In fact, you don't see much of anything at all. It gets very frustrating, like even more frustrating the farther the film goes. And instead of getting like ramping up the shark action, it ramps up the fighting and the arguing and the bickering. And And when this ended... I just, I couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, I'm astounded that this is a finished product. So I I was just very disappointed in Open Water 3 Cage Dive. I wanted to love it and champion it, but it is a bad film. And I say that respectfully as possible. This is a 3 out of 10. It's a total avoid. So. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 47 meters down is preferable. So are you going to see this someday, do you think? (laughs) 
no, not recommendation. Yeah. But look, I'm a, I am a big fan of the open water series as well. I love the idea that the last two films were made independently, not as part of the franchise, but were just simply renamed to become part of the franchise. I think that's brilliant in terms of uh, the way that the production company is handling their their franchise. It would be nice if it was a, a good found footage movie, I suppose, if they're going to go that direction. But um, mm-hmm. it's disappointing. It's disappointing because I I love um, I love to see a successful shark movie uh, you know as we've mentioned before it's hard to find a really good one and so uh, i'm sad to be honest yeah i was sad too i mean i was uh, really excited really looking forward to this and i know you were yeah. too i mean we had talked yeah. about being pumped about this but wait it, it seriously is just not worth it i i, I wouldn't even stream it on netflix no kidding wow. and that's and i mean it okay all right joshua so we're, we're here to one of my uh favorite points in the show. All right. Welcome to my screaming online segment. Um, some listeners will know I do another podcast called movie streamcast where we do short reviews of streaming content. This is the horror version of that, I suppose. So, We'll keep it short here tonight, but um, The Void is a really interesting movie, and a lot of people in our community are big fans of it. I know Anne Dredd, for instance, just absolutely loved this film. Um, it's interesting. You know, it's it's very Lovecraftian, and so I think people who are Lovecraft fans are very happy about that. It's very reminiscent of the work of John Carpenter. Uh, for me... It calls to mind Prince of Darkness more than anything else, but there are very clear references um, in the makeup effects and also just in the general thematic material to the thing. Um, And for me, I think I'm the first person to say this, and I I think it's true. I kind of feel like this is this generation's Sorry, update. Sorry, update. I got the spider. Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Oh, oh my (laughs) gosh. I killed it live on the podcast. I was about to make horror history. Death. Killing a spider. And destruction. Uh, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry, The Void. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, I, I think uh, I, although I've heard many people compare this to Carpenter and Lovecraft, I, I think I'm the first person to say that I think The Void is this generation's phantasm. And I, and I, and I think it's that because it's such a weird movie, it takes place in this kind of singular location. Um, in this case, it's a hospital rather than a mortuary, but we're, we're dealing with other worlds. We're dealing with weird monsters. It's a bit of a kitchen sink movie like phantasm. So I think people who that all sounds interesting to, when we say Carpenter, Lovecraft and phantasm, if that's out, if you're still interested, you're probably going to love this movie. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I, I liked it and um, you know, I, I don't think it's, quite the horror renaissance masterpiece that some people are calling it, but it is a very interesting film. And, and it's definitely one that makes me interested to see what these filmmakers do next. Their background is very interesting. They're guys who have done a lot of work, mostly in kind of the comedy horror world or exploitation comedy world. But, you know, a lot of those Canadian films, the example I've given before is it's kind of like that, um, Turbo Kid or Hobo with a Shotgun kind of stuff. <laughs> those, those were the types of films they were doing before 
they've taken a more serious turn. And I and I praised their film last year, The Editor. I, I really enjoyed that one. But this is this is a much more serious film than those. But it still has that schlock value. We've got a lot of practical effects monsters in this movie, and they're really cool looking um, for the budget. Uh, you know, they they the coolness of the practical effects monsters exceed what it seems is a very small budget for the film. And so they're really uh, doing a great job there. There's a creepy cult aspect to this film. The cult characters costumes are terrifying. One of the scariest cult costumes I've ever seen. Uh, basically, what we're dealing with is a siege narrative. So I think you'd enjoy that aspect of it. Mm hmm. But what we have here is um, there's a, a police chief who finds kind of a victim on the side of the road after what we, the audience, sees is uh, seems to be like a cleansing of, of probably like a cult, a cultist cabin or retreat in the in the woods, you know. And so our police officer finds someone who is kind of a victim of that situation and takes them to a nearby hospital, and very soon after. People start becoming possessed and killing each other and weird things are happening. There's monsters coming out of everywhere and there are cultists surrounding the hospital and these people are stuck here and nobody trusts each other. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, uh, Sounds like you know, and, and I have, I had a good time with the movie. Ultimately it feels a bit clunky to me, uh, especially the way it's put together, I think in the editing and, and some of the way it's shot, it just, and, and some of the acting, frankly, and writing as well. So I, you know, I think it, it suffers in all of those ways, but it's good. It's a really unique watch and it's a lot of fun, I think. And I think, um, audiences who are looking for something fresh from what, you know, our, our horror is offering us today, will will like this one i think audiences who are looking for a throwback to something they appreciated from the past will also enjoy this one so nice um I, you know i think i think horror fans are going to be pleased with this it is streaming on netflix and so it's a very easy recommendation to stream it um you know on movie streamcast we say stream it cue it or skip it and uh and this is an easy stream for me so i recommend people check this one out as far as a rating, you know, I, 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 re I reviewed this film on a Jeff Hammer's podcast previous to this, and I had a hard time kind of landing on, <laughs> on my rating. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a seven. You know, I, th I think, uh, oh, geez, I don't know. I guess it's 7.5. I'm doing <laughs> 7.5 tonight. I might as well round it out with this one. You know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, horror film and i think it you know it deserves to be seen by horror fans so excellent i've been very curious about this for a long time because yeah i've heard i've heard the community digging on it too so yeah i you know it's it's one of those films that it is kind of hard for me to rate because as i mentioned it's a bit of a kitchen sink movie it's it's very varied and um and my feelings about it have ebbed and flowed as well so um but yeah i think uh i think people appreciate this so Josh says it's 7.5 and he says stream it. And did you say it's, um, where is it streaming again? Is it on Netflix? Netflix. Okay, good, cool. sir. All right, good. Just real quick. We, we've kind of developed organically, uh, what we call a PSA, so public service announcements on this podcast, where we talk about films that are, uh, horror adjacent or 
thought to be horror and not quite horror. Anyway, there's a Western. If you like Westerns, we were talking about this on um, Movie Podcast Weekly, and I think that we ended up scaring away much of our audience. (laughs) This was recommended to me by Andrew on Twitter, and it's called Brimstone, and it's, uh, (laughs) it's not horror, okay? But let me just say, this is a... It's got to be like the bleakest, darkest, most heartless <laughs> Western I've ever seen. So, I mean, this is a, it's a soul crusher and it's a two hours and 28 minutes. Um, it stars uh, Dakota Fanning and Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce in the most unsettling role you've probably ever seen him in. And Kit Harrington, I said, I think. And, um, and anyway, fantastic film. It's actually a very good film. And it's just something that I think horror fans would kind of dig. But I will warn you again, very troubling and not necessarily horror. But that's called Brimstone. So check it out if you like Westerns. (laughs) And uh, what do you got, Josh? I know you got one of these PSAs too. Yeah, I mean, mine, I had been really hoping it was horror because it was a Blumhouse release. It's called Slight. And on the poster for it, it said, from the producer of Get Out. So I thought, oh, wow, they're really uh, they're going for this. This is cool. Mm-hmm. This was another kind of festival film that got picked up and eventually released by B.H. Tilt. Um, it's not at all a horror movie. It's uh, following a young man who has had a deceased parent and so is left to care for his younger sister. He starts um, selling drugs but really his passion is that he's a street music magician. And, and so the slight refers to the sleight of hand and he does some cool card tricks and stuff in the movie and they amp up the magical element at the end in kind of a science fiction way. And it's kind of turns into like a low level superhero movie in some way, like in the way that, that uh, unbreakable is a superhero movie. This is kind of a superhero movie. Chronicle maybe. Yeah. I would say less so than Chronicle and unbreakable, but it's fun. You know, it's a, it's a fun little oddity. I loved it actually. (laughs) Well, I don't know what I'm saying. I I really enjoyed the film and I, I think it was a, a great central performance and, uh, and supporting performance from Jacob Latimer and uh, Seychelle Gabriel. I thought they were both incredible. I just think, um, you know, it's not a horror movie. That's it, basically. So. Okay, so that's slight. As I mentioned earlier, after Josh's review of The Transfiguration, our listener and friend Dino sent us an interview with writer-director Michael O'Shea from the Cleveland International Film Festival 2017. After the screening of The Transfiguration that Dino attended, the director had a Q&A session with the audience. And since those viewers had just watched the film, they talked about major plot spoilers. So I would recommend waiting until you've seen the film first before listening to this. If you don't want to hear it now, you can skip ahead about 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes exactly. And then hear our concluding segment of Horror Movie Podcast episode 126. And I will say Dino did his best with this recording. I tried to clean up the audio quality a little more, but I just want to warn you ahead of time that this 10-minute interview is difficult to hear, and the audience questions are nearly inaudible, 
but you should be able to hear the director just fine. And judging by the context of his answers, you can get an idea of what the questions were if you're not able to hear those. We just want to thank Dino for recording this interview and sharing it with us here on Horror Movie Podcast. And finally, for those who have seen the film and aren't worried about spoilers right now, I'm about to say something spoiler-ish. For the first question leading into this Q&A... O'Shea was asked about his decision to kill a kid in the movie. So with that knowledge leading into it, we're going to cut to that interview right now for the next 10 minutes. The, 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 the kid line was, was, was an intentional line to cross to because that's what Milo changes to. So it's like that line when the audience is like, I can't be with him anymore, is the same moment when Milo's like, I can't be with me anymore. So I'm kind of trying to merge that. I'm trying to create that moment at the same time when I cross the line of killing a kid. It was funny when I wrote it, American Sniper hadn't come out, so I was like, I thought it was original for killing a kid, then American Sniper doesn't walk in dead, does it? Um, it? You know, there's a bunch of, you know, transgressive, you know, mainstream things that do this transgressive moment of killing a kid, and I'm like, ah! Uh, I want to do first. Um, but, um, you know, so, so I mean, um, you know, there was a, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of things in my head that I did or didn't want to do, and I had a lot of things that I wanted to try to be sensitive about. Um, while making the film. I mean, yes. I, I, mean, it's, I guess the answer is yes, without more questions. And I'm like, well, what kind of rules? I mean, yeah, I, mean I was very, you know, I, was, I tried to be, I was playing with certain boundaries and transgressing certain boundaries, and I knew I was doing that, and I, I had a lot of readers, and I got a lot of feedback through every step of the film, both through reading the script, through cuts, through seeing edits, you know, like, I just had, I, I involved a lot of people in the process so that, you know, it wasn't just me. Um, doing it. Are you a fan? Two, two, maybe three. Are you a fan of Eraserhead? Oh, you know, Eraserhead was actually the temp score I used for the composer. Uh-huh, uh, like you know, basically, you know, you use you use whatever sounds you can find that are not yours to to like give guidelines to the sound designer and to the composer. And Margaret, who plays in the name Formicon, I used Eraserhead for a ton of the movie. So you actually caught. Uh, I don't think, I mean, she took it and did her own thing, but yeah, you cross up for that. Oh, you totally cross up for that. And then set, set design, did you, was that strategic uh, in the beginning sequence where you had the uh, be sure HIV situation when you came out? No, of the it was not. Um, shooting live, I mean, that, but the thing is, when you're shooting live, stuff happens, right? Right, right? And, you know, the whole reason I can legally do that is because I didn't change, I didn't change the room. Like, the reason you can show, like, a Pepsi truck is if you're just shooting in a completely live, unaltered environment. However, I can wait. I can, <laughs> you and me. I can wait for when I hit roll, and I can choose which take I want to take. You know what I mean? Like, but, you know, obviously I'm not in charge of the billboards, and you know, that, that is a completely live documentary environment that he's walking through. Well, I noticed twice on that one, and then when he was walking in that field, you had a sign... Dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> we, we nailed that because you know we're up on a subway platform, you know, shouting down to him, "Go walk!" And we, we were able to frame that. We, that was just kind of a magical little moment. And like I'm looking at a little handheld monitor, I'm jumping up and down. That was just <laughs> <laughs> and we totally use that as a still frame from the movie. Like, and yeah, it's a total like just ma- magical accidental thing of the angle we happen to be, you know, stealing. By the way, a shot on the subway where the cops are about to come and go, "What, what are you guys doing?" As we're like shooting him from above, walking, and we just happen to get that moment, and we're just like, "Yes," <laughs> which is kind of the greatness of live shooting. You know, you get these kind of magical 
you get these moments that were not scripted, but you know, really work and really you know work into the fabric of the story. Right behind, there was another question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I like your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Royale? Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I like teen films. What can I say? I like teen films that involve murder. <laughs> <laughs> got that. Got that. Um, what? I mean, I have my assumptions, but what, what was Milo looking for in, like, these realistic vampire movies? Was he looking for something? I mean, for me, first of all, I think everyone should take away what they want from the movie. The thing that sucks about directors is they get to come in and, like, tell you what's right and wrong, which I think is terrible. <laughs> movies should be text that you believe what you take out of it. You know, that that is the document, and there's nothing that I can say or do. Having said that, um, I mean, for me, Milo is working from the ultimate confirmation bias. Milo believes he is a vampire. So thereby anything that could happen to Milo as a person is a realistic vampire. Anything that Milo can't do is an unrealistic vampire. So like, you know, so like, you know, something like Blade is the worst movie ever because he can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> um, so that's not realistic. So, you know, anything that's closer to something that Milo could do as a human being, he believes, since Milo naturally believes he is a vampire, that thereby must be true. Um, I grew up, this is where I grew up, this is, this is my first film, and this is literally where I grew up. But, I mean, I was, I really wanted to make a film about, you know, it is a little, even though it's a very kind of, it uses documentary style, it's also kind of a fable. And I, I wanted him to live in one place, in this place that's kind of very burnt out and deserted and feels neglected. And I wanted to hunt in another place that's this new gentrified New York City with like, you know, $300 strollers and fancy bikes and all this other stuff. So, and um, I grew up in a place called Rockaway, which is where he lives, and I knew all those locations. That would, I knew all those burnt out areas and I knew all this stuff. And you know, what's funny is I'm lying a little because Rockaway is, you know, quote unquote gentrifying um, as we speak. And there's like, you know, that those empty lots where they're sitting, there's like construction cranes like two inches away from them. Like, because there's new condos going up. Because, you know, everything in America is changing so fast right now. But the Rockaway that I grew up in was this Rockaway that was just nothing but abandoned lots and, you know, playing in garbage, which is what I did. It was a great childhood. But, um, so I, I wanted to show that, I, I wanted to show, like, that kind of visual of where he lives and this other kind of visual of where he hunts to show this kind of idea of maybe two New York cities, one of haves and one of have-nots. Because it's kind of a little political thing going on in the movie a little bit. <laughs> You know, he's already, I mean, maybe he got his senses back, because he shouldn't have let him, he shouldn't be hunting, he shouldn't be, you know, pissing where he lives, he shouldn't be hunting where he lives, you know, like, and that's his own rules, like, he knows his own rules is go somewhere far away to hunt, but, but another one of his rules is, if something presents itself to you, take it, so here's his idiot, you know, semi-racist kid, like, just showing up, you're like, ooh, but drugs, like, and like, so, how can Milo not take it? Um, but maybe Milo gets his senses back by the end of the scene and realizes, no, don't, don't shove your teeth into his neck. Um, like, that's gonna look, like, this now looks like a natural killing, don't mess this up. So maybe he gets his senses back, because he shouldn't have let that kid, he shouldn't have let that kid in anyway, because it was where he lived. Like, that's, it was, he was breaking his own serial killer rules. <laughs> 
was wondering, with Milo's demise, is that uh, did you have any other rendition of that before you settled on that one? Um. I mean, um, I had a very much longer sequence than that. You know, the first cut of this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. I, I, I took his actual body apart. Like, um, my makeup guy was like, I built so much stuff and you just use like the one slice. Um, like, um, but um, no, he, he was always, I mean, he always gets shot. He always causes his own demise by knowing that he's going to sort of tattle to the police and knowing that that's probably going to have consequences for him eventually down the road. Um, that that's that's his setup. Um, that's always, that was always the way I was planning for him to for him to go. We have time for one more question. Yeah, the back. Yeah, they mentioned Miller films let the white one end three yeah. times, and it kind of had that feel to me. Was that film influence you at all when you were writing the script for this? Oh, I, I, I love, 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 right one in. Another team film I love about is uh, Heavenly Creatures. I think both those films influence. I mean, I think what I took from Let the Right One in the most that I don't think Let Me In did as well, was Let me write, let The Right One In has a great sense of location, and that sense of location infuses the whole movie. And I, I, I tried to imitate that in this movie. I tried to you know create a real sense of location in space and let that infuse the mood of the film. I mean, that was the biggest thing I took from Let The Right One In. I mean, I, the secret influence of this movie that isn't spoken aloud is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer which is a movie about a guy, a serial killer that meets a girl, and is the girl gonna change him? And Henry has a different answer than uh, my film, but it's like, so that's like, that's like the secret influence on, on this movie. Any closing remarks? No, I see you guys have just been an amazing Q&A audience, actually, so I just wanna compliment you for, thank you for asking me all these lovely questions. And uh, I'll be at the gala, so if you wanna talk about stuff, you know, the last thing before we wrap up, I just want to give a, a shout out right here to uh, my friend Vicious Victor. He mailed this book to me. It's called uh, The Book of Blasphemous Words. Okay. Mm. It's really interesting. He says, um, to Jay of the Dead on the inside, thanks for keeping the horror community alive. Very best wishes, Vicious Victor. It's his book, isn't it? So it's a collection of short stories. Victor is one of the contributing authors in this. It's edited by uh, C.J. Miles IV. And uh, I just really appreciate that. I think it's cool. Not only do we have filmmakers and artists in our community, which we've learned about, but we also have authors and writers who write horror content as well. So I just want to express my appreciation to, to Victor. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to thank the community for was our, our, our dear friend Adam out of Chicago. You know who I mean, Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah. That guy. Adam Michaels. Yes. Yeah, he is not able to attend the meetup on uh, October 14th in Salt Lake City. Yeah, unfortunately, no. But no. he donated, he bought, he paid an admission price for, for yeah. one person to attend. And so yeah, that's awesome. He bought a ghost ticket as we were calling them on the, yes, on the Indiegogo page. So yeah, thank you so much, Adam. And, and he's not able to attend because he's the star of rock of ages musical <laughs> and right. uh, he's going to be performing. That's why he can't attend. So that's pretty cool too. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe we may have a surprise guest appearance from Adam. I think he's going to send us a video or, um, or Skype in or something like that to the live event with, with his rock of ages cast. So that could be fun. Yeah. Because we should, we should mention about Adam. He's totally legit. He attended our uh, first meetup, which is last year in Indiana. And uh, he's a super cool guy. I really dig him. He, it was a highlight of the whole weekend was meeting him. 
So anyways, he's so talented. I mean, he's, he's one of our artist listeners who, you know, I've bought some of his art before. I love his stranger things piece. I talked about on our best posters episode, Um, but he does a lot of cool fan art. um, And he's in a band called cowboy jukebox, which is like this crazy country band. And he (laughs) used to be in a rock band that, you know, I've talked about, remember they did the, soundtrack for resident evil mm-hmm. back in the day from yes. one of the resident evil movies so yes he's a really fascinating and now here he is in a in a musical so the guys guy. he's legit for sure yeah all right well several hours later here it's 1 30 for us 3 30 for dr shock he's asleep uh, <laughs> and i think that wraps up episode 126 of horror movie <laughs> podcast where we are clearly dead serious about horror movies we thank you for listening and making it to the end um josh and i sometimes wonder if people listen all the way through these like three and four hour episodes but if you do we appreciate it and if you want to listen to more such talk uh our next episode's coming up (laughs) our next one is our creepy killer clowns episode and the it versus which will be really good i think i'm excited about that and this movie looks phenomenal that it trailer is freaking me out. I got to see one of those extended little short film clips in front of um, Annabelle Creation, yeah, where Stephen King gives a preface and says, "Here's some of my film," and they show you like about five minutes of it. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna have nightmares tonight." <laughs> it's really scary, so yeah. I'm excited about that. Also, if you are a patron of uh, the Movie Podcast Network, our special features episode that's coming out on September 1st is six World War II films. Now, I know that's not really horror-related directly, but I tell you, some of the films in there are horrifying from World War II. (laughs) Trust trust me on that. So anyways, um, what what about you, Josh? What do you got for listeners? Um, I just wanted to mention that right as of now, we have scheduled A.M. Novak, Anya Novak, who was one of our uh, Horror Cinema Awards jury members, uh, the lovely and amazing Anya scheduled to come on our it review episode. So I'm, I'm excited about that. She's a really cool writer. She's uh, does bylines at birth movies, death and Blumhouse and daily Grindhouse and all kinds of vague visages, all kinds of cool online sites. She's, she's incredible. So looking forward to having her on. She's a big Stephen King fan and in particular it. So She'll be a great voice to add to the conversation. However, having said that, I'm I'm afraid I may not be able to make it to that episode myself after all of the long wait for it. Um, I have recently committed to going on an insane hunting expedition to Alaska, and yes. I'm not positive. I, I might have to leave before the recording date unless we can move it around. And um, honestly, I'd rather have... Anya on the show than me because I think she's going to add so much to that episode so if she cannot change her schedule and if you guys can't then I'm going to have to probably miss that based on one I now uh, my departure date so um, I'm also a little bit afraid that I might not come back from Alaska so if this is the last time I talk to you it's been real I love our listeners and uh, (laughs) keep me in your hearts and minds and I'll see you on the other side (laughs) (laughs) seriously I know I I am genuinely worried for Josh, but I you know he he's got great instincts as a filmmaker and in the field, 
He's going to bring back some campfire tales for us, I think, guys. So. <laughs> I, if, I, if I survive this, I'll definitely have some tales. Um, uh, if I do survive, also, you can find me over at MovieStreamCast.com, UniversalMonstersCast.com. I think our listeners will really enjoy our latest episode of Universal Monsters Cast. We reviewed all of the mummy movies from Hammer films and uh we had a friend of the show red cap jack on because he's our he's our local uh, hammer expert and we had him on the show and uh kagan breitenbach you know who's been mentioned on this episode he's our composer and producer over there he sometimes does a music segment and he did an amazing music segment about hammers horror music so a lot of fun episode and i recommend people check that one out and mm-hmm. uh, other than that you can follow me on twitter instagram and facebook at Icarusarts, come see us at the meetup in Salt Lake City. Leave a review and a rating on iTunes. <laughs> Subscribe, and I hope I don't die. Yes, <laughs> we hope not either. We would cry. Well, listeners, we love your comments. We hope you get involved in the horror movie podcast community and uh, leave us a message there in the show notes for episode 126. You can also email horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and uh, leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. Yes, I do have a few voicemails. I've been having trouble retrieving them from Google for some reason, so I have to figure out how to get those from them, and it's really taking me off. So do you know anybody you can rough up over at Google, Josh? Uh, Not particularly. (laughs) Not over our voicemails. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, we'll we'll figure out a more diplomatic solution then. But um, you can find all of our episodes at horrormoviepodcast.com. We also have the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. Those are in our back archives in case you want to hear some old stuff. You can subscribe to this show free in iTunes and leave us a review. We would love for you to do that. We're also on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast as well as Instagram. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find his music at FrederickIngram.com as well as the aforementioned Kagan Breitenbach whose music is at KaganBreitenbach.com. And um, Josh, I think that's it for episode 126. Finally, uh, we thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>